You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We are on the air. We are alive and uh, <laughs> and ready to go. I mean, we we uh, I gotta say, you know, this is the first time I can remember being on a pretty normal schedule for me myself. I'm Todd, and this is maybe old hat for you because this is you know this is the way. Now, maybe not old hat for you as far as recording goes, but as far as listening to the show and you know everything being on schedule and stuff. But I gotta say, behind the scenes, this is. This is a rarity. I was talking. Hey. I was talking to Will this week, and we were kind of giggling and laughing, saying, "You know what's going on?" <laughs> and I was like, "I don't know. I don't know." And I, was, I was like, "I said, I think I'm going to be able to pull it off this weekend too." And we were just kind of, you know, laughing, having a good time, and uh, just to give everybody a large William update. If you don't follow him on Facebook and stuff, he's doing well. Everything's everything's good. So just uh, chugging along. Um, he will be back. Uh, I'm trying to think. If there's anything I need to go over as far as house cleaning goes, I don't think so. I should go ahead and mention that I am going to post on the Facebook pretty soon. Some uh, We're just about out of funds for the... Uh, I didn't want to do it while we were trying to get uh, funds for the uh, DVD of uh, Lethal Hunter, but uh, we are just about out of funds. We're about a month and a half away from being out of funds for the actual uh, hosting fees for this show. So I'll probably be posting that up pretty soon. So if some of you guys hear this and you want to throw a little coin our way, you can head over to the blog and donate on the uh, PayPal button over there. It still works. Um, and uh, it would be greatly appreciated. I'm, I'm not looking for profit here. I'm just looking for enough. And I'll, I'll post this in the Facebook group when I get a chance. I'm just looking for enough to cover it for a year. And, uh, you know, anything extra is sweet because I'll just, you know, it just covers the fees. That's all it does. I don't use it for, you know, equipment or uh, uh, posters or uh All break. Yeah, or or my copy of uh, 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 Peter Yellen and the Breakers Fall Break on vinyl, which uh, was not a cheap purchase. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, so yeah, I just want to make sure you know, kind of get that out there. 
this week we are still brought to you by Arrow Video. We we had a serious backlog of Arrow Video stuff, so there'll be a lot of Arrow Video coming over the next few weeks. Between that and Diabolic DVD, uh, we're pretty much booked for quite some time, and uh, that's okay because a lot of the stuff that Arrow's putting out is stuff that we've always wanted to cover anyway. And uh, we're finally getting a chance to talk about some of these things. So this week we're talking about uh, 1974's Sheba Baby, directed by William Girdler, a uh, fellow Louisvillian uh, from uh, Louisville there. And this movie is actually shot in Louisville, so I'll have a little bit to say. I'll have a little bit of inside info, maybe. Maybe some... Uh, Actually, I was you know I was one year old, and <laughs> so it wasn't like I was on the set, you know. Like, hey, bring it, bring it, bring it, gaffer tape over here, you know. <laughs> Let's get it get over your here. Mac. Yeah, get your Mac. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Greer? Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, maybe I'll have a. I, I can. I will have a few things to say about some of the locations and things because most of those, some of those locations in the film are are pretty much standard landmarks in Louisville, and they're still there. Oh, cool. uh, and. Uh, We'll also be talking about The Mutilator from 1984, also known as Fall Break, uh, directed by Buddy Cooper. Um, both of these are uh, releases, like I say, by Arrow Video, and uh, we'll get into those. So we got basically a black exploitation film, a rated PG black exploitation film, we should say, which is always bizarre when you watch these movies from the 70s and they're PG, because this movie could easily, by the 80s, this movie could easily probably be an R from the, some of the gun violence. And... Uh, and then, of course, the mutilator easily in R because it is it, it does. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. It does have some quite fancy effects, and it or maybe not fancy is not the right word, but certainly uh, classic and effective effects. I think we can say that. Some. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Other than that, uh, what have you been watching lately? You been watching anything? Uh, a few things, not really a ton. Um, let me see here. First up is the uh, I finally caught up with the anthology, the Theater Bazaar. Um, oh yeah, from, from uh, what was it from? Uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was not. It was kind of middle of the road for me. Mm. Uh, the the real standout obviously would be the Richard Stanley uh, segment of it, and even that really wasn't anything to write home about. I don't think. I mean, it, it's you could tell it's a Richard Stanley uh, piece, but right. Uh, other than that, I mean, it's 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 kind of the crapshoot that you get with any kind of anthology. I mean, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, and making a short is probably harder than uh, making a feature. Um, the same way that you know, writing a short story is harder than writing a novel because you have so little space and you know so much to do in it. If, I mean, if you want to, um, so it's it it was okay. Uh, it's worth seeing, um, but that's pretty much about it. Uh, hopefully, you know. Uh, who else is uh, Buddy Giovinazzo's, uh does a, a segment in it? The guy that did uh, Combat Shock. Oh yeah, um, he does a piece of it. Um, and there's a the guy. Uh, oh crap! Uh, Red, white, and blue trilogy. I'm I'm mutilating that. All right, I'll skip it. Um, but anyway, it's worth seeing. Uh, but not uh, nothing great. Um, I caught up with the uh, the final girls uh, from 2015 uh, with. Uh, Tasa Farmiga and Malin Ackerman and uh, Thomas Middleditch, the guy from uh, Silicon Valley. <laughs> Middleditch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I got to say, I really, I was really impressed with this. I wasn't expecting much. Yeah. And uh, it really, uh, really impressed me. Uh, a, lot people, like, a lot of people are saying that. I haven't got to it, but a lot of people are. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of it's scream esque without being, you know, too much like that. But it's also. You know, it, it's got that kind of 
magical fantasy element of it um, that I really like with, you know, how it, it talks about the, the cliches of uh, slasher genre without getting too, uh, too cutesy about it. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, truly funny, funny segments just in and of itself. The characters aren't, you know, really obnoxious or, you know, winking and pointing at the, at the camera too much. Um, and there's, there's, there's a bit of heart to it, which I really like. Uh, the male lead is, you know, bland, but I think that's also something that he kind of should be seen as how he's in a slasher movie. Yeah. Um, and it's called The Final Girls. Uh, so, um, but yeah, no, I was, uh, I was really impressed with it. I would love to see the, uh, the sequel if they ever get around to it, if they want to. Uh, so yeah, high recommend on that one. Um, I caught up with, uh, Kill Me Three Times, um, from, uh, I think that was from 2015 as well, with the one with Simon Pegg, where he looks kind of like Zardoz in a black-on-black suit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And uh, it was okay. It's uh, it's very, very, it's ultra-stylish. It's the kind of movie that really should have come out back in the 90s. Uh, I got a heavy whiff of uh, a combination of Blood Simple and um, Two Days in the Valley, if that helps describe it to you. That does. <laughs> um yeah, it it kind of it kind of plays a bit with the with the narrative and you know circling back to give you details and that sort of thing. Uh, but otherwise, it it wasn't uh, it wasn't great. It looks it looks phenomenal. Don't get a whole lot of two days in the valley references. Even <laughs> no. even even among film buffs, you don't get a lot of that one. So that that's interesting. Yeah. The one you you said Blood Simple that that's one you hear, but when you threw two days in the valley in there. I was like, oh okay, I got you, I got you. <laughs> uh, but it was it was good. Um, you know, Peg's really the standout, um, as he should be, because he's you know the main guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Brian Brown, actually, I should I should amend that. Brian Brown is the standout, and he's barely in it. Uh, but he does a nice little uh, turn as an asshole. Uh, it's always and uh, always yeah, good. of course you get <laughs> Alice uh, Braga in it, and she's always great to look at. So yeah. Um, but it it was all right. Uh, nothing again. No great shakes. Um, I caught up with Mr. Holmes uh, from Bill Condon, um, 2015, Ian McKellen, and Laura Linney. Uh, really good movie. Uh, it's not, you know, it's about Sherlock Holmes, you know, as he's in his uh, in his uh, twilight years and he's losing his memory. And the great thing that I really, really enjoyed about this was that it's very much about uh, stories and storytelling as uh, way of recording the the past and how it reflects the truth of the past and how uh, it also deals with memories because uh, you know everything about this movie is, is stories the, the little kid that's in it who's kind of his uh, who kind of befriends uh, Holmes um, he has uh, this thing where his dad used to tell him stories and uh, Holmes is writing a story to amend how the last story that Watson wrote uh, turned out, and mm. uh, there's you know it's it's a whole thing. There's no big bad guy in it. There's no Moriarty, no Moran, or anything like that. Um, but there's still mystery to it. And it's still very very compelling. And of course, it's all uh, held together by uh, McKellen, who as as usual just brings his A game yeah. and is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and plus, it looks gorgeous. So uh, another high recommend. So two high recommends this week from uh, from me. Nice. Um, that's about it as far as I've been watching. Well, aside from like the stuff like uh, the TV shows, uh, like Preacher and yeah. Game of Thrones and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I watch the television too. That little TV bit, I watch that stuff too. And the only thing I can I can't relate to Preacher. I haven't checked out an episode of Preacher yet. Just haven't got to it. But I really loved it. 
I have, I've never read the comic, but I really love the show. Yeah, so yeah I've read the comic, so I uh, I read the whole series. I, I guess I've read it probably two or three times, but I quite enjoy it. I don't I don't love it as much as some, but I, I would definitely I definitely want to check out the show because I am a Dominic Cooper fan. I do like him. I think he's underrated. He was in a movie called. Uh, Oh man, what was that movie called where he played Saddam Hussein's son? The Devil's oh. Devil's Double, I think is what it was yeah, called. Yeah. And he's really, really good in that because he plays two different sides of the coin. It's very much a Nick Cage esque performance, mm. where he goes way over the top on one end, and uh, you know he's way laid back on the other end, and it's it's really quite impressive. He's a, he's he's a really good actor. I, I think he's got a bright future. Um, but I've been interested in the show. I just. It's one of those things where I, you know, with having a young daughter and everything else, I just can't commit to programs as much as I used to. So I, I just kind of wait till everything kind of gets collected in a streaming capacity anymore, or in a Blu-ray or DVD capacity, and then uh, just you know, bomb that way. Like I'm going to do Ash versus Evil Dead. That's coming out on Blu-ray pretty soon. I'm just going to go ahead and purchase that because I am a, yeah, I'm not as big a fan as uh, of Ash the character as some, but I am a fan and. Uh, I'm probably going to put, you know, just kind of go ahead and collect that together as one uh, set and kind of power through it and stuff. So that's kind of the way I'm watching television nowadays. So I kind of, but I have watched Game of Thrones. I did watch all of that and and watched the uh, finale. I thought it was it was fine. I like the opening bit a lot more than I like the rest of the episode. But uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I like Game of Thrones. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like at this point, they, they, the show feels like for me. It feels like the quintessential fantasy of uh, of everybody wandering around, <laughs> waiting for everybody else to make a move. And uh, I'm fine with that, but I always felt the Lost started to do that too toward the end. And you know, I enjoyed Lost for like those first three, two or three, four seasons. I thought, okay, this show's really got it. got its its uh, mythology wound tight. And uh, I, I do, th- I still still think Game of Thrones does, but not enough. Uh, unfortunately for me, not this past season, not enough White Walkers and. And uh, they better find some more giants, man, because I love giants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the giants are the best. Yeah, they are. All right, anyway. Um, still good, though. Don't get me wrong. Um, better than most television, I would say, on, on TV nowadays. Absolutely. I'm curious what uh, what HBO is going to do. I know some people have said, uh, you know, they got, I think uh, the showrunners have said they got maybe, and I'm kind of making some time here because I don't really, I only watch one thing, but they said they got, yeah, two more seasons and maybe, 10 to 12 more hours of uh, programming they got left together. So they might be short seasons even. Yeah, I heard that uh, next season's only, I think next season's only going to be like seven episodes. Mm-hmm. But and I, yeah, no, I, I personally, I've, I've been loving it. I've been loving it yeah. since the, the first day. I love that it's, I love that it's slow paced because I love watching the characters yeah. all do their things. I think they're insanely interesting characters yeah. across the board. Uh, you don't want to see any of them die, but then, you know, some of them you really want to see die, but then when they die, you're like, shit, I can't believe they killed them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even Daenerys Stormborn, I, I can't get into her, man. She just, I don't know. She, there's something, I liked her more this season than I have in the past. Yeah. But she's well, so, she, yeah, she's, she's certainly uh, come into her own. Yeah. She, just, I liked her in the first season because um, she was lost and didn't know what the hell she was going to be. But I never liked her again until this season, really. I mean, she just drives me crazy. Emily, uh, Emily, uh, whatever her name is, Clark, Amelia Clark. I mean, she, don't get me wrong, she's fine. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. But every other character I've loved, um, do my Jon Snow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the real king. I'm the real king of the North. <laughs> That's uh, almost as good as your Alan Moore. Yeah, it is. 
At least with the, at least with the uh, Game of Thrones goes, I can understand what they're saying, though. This is true. <laughs> not, all, not all that beard-eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that beard-eating mush mouth. That, uh, uh, I didn't watch anything much. I watched a documentary on baseball, uh, baseball essentially called Fastball. Uh, Paul, Red Waffle Paul, kind of recommended it to me. He knows I'm a big baseball guy. It's pretty cool. It kind of goes over the... Uh, the kind of evolution of the fastball in baseball and um, how they uh, – it's one of those big kind of myths in baseball, kind of like the long home run or, you know, who hit the furthest home run, who's got the most power, who's got the most this, who's the greatest that ever was, who's the greatest that never was, all these things. Um, what's interesting about it is it kind of goes back and they use physics, which physics is something I can't wrap my brain around. I'm not that, uh, I'm not that guy. Okay, but I, I am fa- uh, vastly interested in that. And they kind of go back and they can actually – kind of like clock uh, the fastballs from the quote-unquote fastest pitchers alive of the past. And uh, what's interesting is there is some of those guys from the past were were throwing some serious heat back in the day. And uh, when you relate it to uh, the way the game was played, uh, you know, because any kind of game, any kind of sport evolves just like people do, um, it's pretty interesting how some of those pitchers that were considered the fastest alive were the at that time, were easily the fastest alive. So uh, it wasn't just, uh, you know, old-timers sitting around going, oh, yeah, you know, uh, oh, yeah, so-and-so, he, oh, man, that was the meanest fastball I ever saw, you know, stuff like that. So, but, yeah, it, it's, it's good. It's not great, um, but I, I would definitely, you know, people like baseball. It's fun to listen to these pitchers talk about it. Um, that's really about it. Like I said, I've been watching television mostly, too, and I just haven't had a whole lot of time, so. Um, who knows? Who knows what's next? Uh, Game of Thrones is over, so I'll probably I've been watching uh, Sorry. Fortitude. No problem. I've been watching Fortitude on Amazon Prime. Uh, I know a few of our listeners uh, checked it out. A little uh, British television show. It's got a great concept. A little town called Fortitude in the Arctic. Uh, they find a, a mammoth, uh, which would be like a thirty thousand, a thirty million year old mammoth carcass. Uh, people are fighting over it. It's you know, I love the isolation of it, and I love the idea of the small Arctic town with, you know, a sheriff and a deputy and about, you know, I don't know, 80 people in town, so everybody knows everybody, so nobody can get away with anything, and, you know, there's a murder. I, it's, you know, I, I like all that stuff. Uh, being a bit of a, a solitary individual myself, I think I'm always attracted to that stuff. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, I've watched four episodes of that. It's really good so far. Stanley Tucci's in there playing, uh, rubbing his bald head like he does. <laughs> Whenever he gets a chance, that's his, uh, one of his favorite acting things to do. Either rubbing his bald head or stirring a cup of coffee. He's he's really nailing those two things in the show, let me tell you. He's got them ticks down. Oh, man. The coffee stirring alone is is like Oscar-worthy. I mean, it's just <laughs> the way he'll stir and then he'll look up and kind of smirk. You know, the Stanley Tucci smirk, if you know Stanley yep. Tucci. It's, it's like, yeah, Tucci knows what he's doing. Um. <laughs> I think him and uh, Mark Savage should play uh, twins in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Um, yeah, that's about it. We'll uh, we'll keep it short there. We uh, don't have a whole lot of time anyway to record, and hopefully we we'll, we'll have time. We won't get in the way. But I'm eyeballing a uh, as we're talking here. I'm eyeballing a Conan the Complete Quest Blu-ray collection, which. Uh, I don't have Barbarian on Blu-ray. I got it on DVD, but now I can get Barbarian, Destroyer, and Red Sonja on Blu-ray for all of $13.99. I'm thinking about it. That might be a July 4th purchase right there. That's pretty sweet. That is. Um, 
love Barbarian, have a sweet spot for Destroyer and all its ridiculousness, and Red Sonja is just... Uh, it's Red Sonja. It is what it is, yes. All right, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and... Uh, well, I guess we'll go chronologically. I guess we'll talk about Sheba Baby first. Okay. Uh, we'll be back right after this. <laughs> Hi, this is Vernon Wells from Road Warrior and Commando, and you're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Enjoy. But hopefully in post, I will be putting in the theme songs to each one of these uh, <laughs> each one of these movies because Sheba Baby's got a pretty uh, popular theme song as as well. Well, I don't know if Mutilator theme song is popular. It might be now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't recall it being very popular when uh, when I was growing up. Not everybody was running around humming that tune. But after this week's show, you might be. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, Never made Casey Kasem. No. <laughs> It should have though. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> should have. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I'll be able to mix those both in. So we'll, we'll, we shall see. But uh, I think I'll. I know I, I have the Sheba Baby stuff because uh, I do enjoy that soundtrack. It's pretty. It's not great, but it's pretty solid. Black exploitation soundtrack. Uh, I can't even remember who did it, but I'll find out here in a minute when I look at my cheat sheet known as IMDb. Um. All right, so Sheba Baby, nineteen seventy and four, directed by one William Girdler. William Girdler, uh, the pride of Louisville when it comes to B movie making. Uh, Louisville's had a few um, great filmmakers. Uh, we haven't had a whole bunch, but we've had a a few that uh, we take credit for. Uh, one of them, either fortunately or unfortunately, the way you look at it, is D. W. Griffith, who uh, was born and raised here and, and grew up not too far from where I'm at. Um, maybe quote unquote the father of modern cinema. Um, unfortunately, he made something that uh, people kind of <laughs> frown upon nowadays. But uh, again, can't can't knock the influence he had. And then uh, we've had Todd Browning, who uh, maybe one of the more earlier horror movie directors that was pretty influential. And I believe you've been on before for some Todd Browning love. 
Yep, freaks. Yep. yep. And uh, William Girdler, there's like I said, there's a few other in between there, but William Girdler was really on his way because he made I think like nine films in seven years. He was really on his way of being uh, quite the competent director. Um, as far as B movies go, and I don't think we've ever covered any uh, William. Hey, there they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> That's uh, that, somebody sitting off fireworks now. <laughs> no. They hear everything. Mm-hmm. I know that's a great thing about dogs. It's really great when you're like you're really like relaxed and quiet, and they throw that bark at you, and it scares the living shit out of you. Oh yeah, when you're trying to take a nap. Oh yeah, oh, it's my great. God. <laughs> Gives you that nice jolt of adrenaline yeah. that you don't want at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and and basically in his credits, it's it's basically seven, maybe six or seven years, and I think he did nine films in that in that time. Asylum of Satan, Three on a Meat Hook, The Git Man, Abby, Sheba Baby, Grizzly, Project Kill, Day of the Animals. And he was working on bigger budget stuff when he passed. Uh, he died in a helicopter accident, sadly, uh, scouting locations. Yeah. Um, but he uh, worked on The Manitou, which is a bizarre, bizarre film, uh, bizarre studio film. Day of the Animals and I think The Manitou and Project Kill were mostly studio related. I mean, everything was kind of studio related in some ways, but. I think four or five of his films were actually shot in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I'm from. And uh, Sheba Baby's one. Uh, I know Abby's one. Uh, Three on a Meat Hook is one. I believe Asylum of Satan was shot in uh, Louisville. But, yeah, you know, he's got a few titles in there that are very popular and synonymous with early VHS rentals. I mean, I saw Three on a Meat Hook quite a bit. Matter of fact, when I saw the uh, release for The Mutilator, oddly, I thought at first, like, oh, yeah, this is that movie Three on a Meat Hook. This is just another Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what you think, right, when you first see that cover and everything. But you realize it's not has nothing to do with that. And uh, Abby, uh, that, that's uh, basically a uh, kind of a black exploitation uh, exorcist ripoff. Yep. Um, that one definitely shot in uh, Louisville, and that definitely a, uh, a big VHS one. And Grizzly is a fun Jaws knockoff. It's a uh, it's very silly in retrospect because there's a guy in a bear suit, but it's kind of fun too in in that respect. So. I absolutely love Grizzly. Yeah, and Grizzly's it's it's it was, it's it was one, one of those million dollar movie things yeah. when I was growing up. Yeah, it's one of the better. If you're going to rip off Jaws, if you want to see a good B movie rip off of Jaws, and Grizzly's about as good as you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, between that that and Day of the Animals are the two yeah. the two real standouts for me from uh, from Girdler. Yep. Have you ever seen the Manitou? Uh, I've seen pieces of it. Yeah, I've, should, I've never actually sat through the whole thing. You should definitely I think see I've it. Pro- it's one of those ones where I've <laughs> probably seen every scene, but not in the right order. Yeah, you should definitely see it because it's just—it's a movie that progressively uh, loses its mind as it goes along, <laughs> <laughs> and it's—it's uh, it's got a fun cast, and uh, it's got Tony Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis is in the movie, and uh, he's wearing really tight sweaters, and you know he's. It's very chilly. He's got hard nipples throughout the whole film. That's uh, wow. pretty great. Now yeah. I have to see it. <laughs> yes, now you have to. <laughs> but uh, Sammy searching that later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You want the? Uh, I feel like Tony Curtis has come up a couple times lately. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Tony Curtis. Uh, <sighs> all right. Uh, so anyway, let's get back into Sheba Baby. A Chicago private detective returns back home to Louisville, Kentucky, to help her father fight mobsters. Not really known for mobsters in my neck of the woods, but, uh, well, you know, like all towns, we do have our crime element. This movie, like we said, does start, this is a Pam Greer vehicle. Probably the lesser of her, well, maybe as far as popularity goes, certainly the lesser of her, and I just realized we're doing back-to-back Pam Greers. I, I forgot about doing, you know, Black Mama, White Mama last uh, last week, but, uh, yeah, it's always good to have Pam on. And 
She and this she plays Sheba Shane, which is a great name. And hey. and uh she uh this is probably not as obviously it's not as popular as Foxy Brown and Coffee. Those two are kinda I think the two that are really synonymous with her her uh, kind of black exploitation lead acting. Uh and it's kind of it's kind of more in the vein, I think, of like the Friday Foster type stuff. Some of the stuff she did toward the back end, but those four films in particular, though, Foxy Brown, Coffee, Sheba Baby, and Fox uh, Friday Foster, are quite memorable when you think about Pam Grier's career and where it was at and where it was going. Um, again, like I said, uh, directed by Girdler, who is the a Louisvillian, and uh, this has her, Pam Grier, Austin Stoker, little Derville Martin, who uh, passed away. Well, way early. He was only 45 when he passed. Uh, had a heart attack. He's fun. He plays Pilot, the bad guy. He's easily having uh, more fun than most people are in this film. He's certainly having more fun than Austin Stoker is. Austin Stoker acts like he's got a stick up his ass most of his movie. Right. Well, his name is Brick. Yeah. yeah. Well, Brick needs to shit his brick because he's yeah, yeah. he's uncomfortable. <laughs> he's, a little, he's impacted. <laughs> yeah, he really is. Uh, I like Austin Stoker. I mean, obviously, he's always going to be known to a lot of us movie buffs and horror fans for working in Carpenter's uh, Assault on Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was always kind of stoic in that, too. as kind of like a Western hero, but it works in that. And this, he's just a, he's a little too upright and, and uh, I mean, not that it's a bad thing, but he's a little too upright and kind of righteous for his own good. And it kind of gets on your nerves. It's kind of like Pam Greer. You just kind of like, you feel like Sheba, you just want to smack him. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Brick, wake up, motherfucker. <laughs> and uh, kind of move on. So anyway. Uh, some other great names in here: Andy Shane, uh, the uh, the dad. He's played by an actor named Rudy Challenger, which is a great name, Rudy Challenger. Challenger. And there's some characters in here with fun names. Sharks in here. He's one of the lead bad guys. Uh, a guy named Hammerheads in here. A killer Whale. Everybody. Everybody has a name that's related to him somehow, some way of a uh, a fish. It seems, which is weird, because I can tell you right now, there's no sharks. There's no hammerheads. There's no whales in the Ohio River where this is shot. Some of it, so there there yeah, are mutated catfish. But well, lots of Charlie Bronson swimming around. Yeah, <laughs> there's lots of mutated Charlie Bronsons coming out and you know making making weird noises. But what are you doing over there? <laughs> yeah. He with some sausage. Yeah. <laughs> These melons are nice and fresh. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, you know, my wife asked me, uh, just to kind of go off side, she asked me one day, what would you like to do for like a vacation getaway? I'm going to let you pick like a vacation weekend. Me and you will just go somewhere. I said, I want to go to Charlie Bronson's hometown. She goes, where the hell's that? I said, what's up in Pennsylvania? I said, I got some friends in Pennsylvania. Anyway, maybe we can just kind of drive through and meet up. And uh, I said, Pennsylvania's a big state. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff to see there. And she's like, I don't, I don't really want to go to Pennsylvania. <laughs> I was like, come on. Charlie Bronson. It's a small town, you know. I got. I like going and visiting those. Uh, like the the town that uh, William Oates is, or uh, Warren Oates is from. Not William Oates. Warren Oates is from here in Kentucky, Depoy, Depoy, Kentucky, is uh, super small. Still super small. I mean, it's one of those towns. Literally, you can throw a rock at the, the county line, and you can probably get it all the way through the county in uh, in one throw. And uh, but it still looks like the town he grew up in back in the twenties. So you know, it's pretty amazing if you. Uh, ever get a chance to hit Depoy, Kentucky. I don't know if that would be a, a destination you'd want to hit, but anyway. Uh, side note, there we go. All right, let's get into the film here a little bit. First things first, you notice very quickly, this is the 70s. There's a lot of paneling on those walls, baby. <laughs> yeah. Somebody needs to loan these guys some paint. These uh, 
this this is the seventies. I mean, when I was growing up, uh, my my main house, the, my, the main floor of my house, I grew up at, grew up on, did not have paneling, but the basement and the attic did, <laughs> and uh, the basement still does at the house I grew up in. Uh, still has the paneling. Looks very much like this. Again, that was a style. Uh, I gotta be honest with you. As I get older, I think I take paneling over wallpaper sometimes because wallpaper is such a bitch. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then it starts to peel and all oh, that. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And wallpaper's making a comeback, which scares me. It, because, uh, and the reason why I say that is because you know, I'm a married man. I know that my wife's going to want to re- rearrange some things in the house as time goes on. I'm afraid she's going to want to wallpaper a wall, like an accent wall or something, and. And then ten years later, everybody's gonna say, "Ooh, wallpaper! Ooh, nobody uses wallpaper," and it's gonna be a a nightmare scenario of taking wallpaper off of a wall. Which putting it on is okay, taking it off is a bitch. So, yeah, just like a band aid. Yep. Um, the first thing you kind of notice with Sheba Baby, I think personally, the writing is fine, although between the writing and the line delivery, the movie almost feels too much like. We got to tell you this because we don't think you're very smart enough. You know, we don't think the audience is smart enough to understand the story we're trying to tell. Yes, and it feels it feels very TV episode of the week in a lot of ways. Yes, and there's a lot of times where I feel like they don't even have enough to say. Like, I mean, it's not like, and I know Quentin Tarantino's a big fan of this film, uh, like he has a lot of Pam Grier films, but I know he's a big fan of this film, and I always kind of think to myself. He's got to cringe at some of the writing in this, though, because nobody feels like they're naturally talking in this movie, except maybe Derville Martin, I think, maybe. Um, and, um, oh, God, who was the, the other guy? The guy that looked like he came straight out of Hollywood uh, Shuffle. Um, oh, um, Christopher Joy? The Walker character? The, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the pimp? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's having a good time. He's having a great time. Yeah, he's... <laughs> He's, he doesn't. He's fun, man. In the film. He he ate yeah. every ounce. Of, he ate every inch of that scenery. Yeah, yeah. He's having he's, fun. He was stuffing the upholstery down his throat. That yeah, he's uh, kind of known for. Uh, I think he was in Darkstown Strutters, and I'm pretty positive he was in. I'm gonna click on him here. Well, I was right about the Darkstown Strutters thing. He did that after this, but he. Uh, okay, he was in a movie called Hitman, which I think is the one I was thinking of. No, that's not it. That's the Bernie Casey one. I was thinking of the Billy D. Williams one, which I think is called Hit, not Hitman. Yeah, yeah. No, the Bernie Casey one's really good. Hitman's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he he's, he was in a few things. Uh, oddly, as much as he's kind of like he chews up the senior stuff, he didn't do a whole lot of stuff. He he worked from about 70. He worked about 10 years. He worked from about 70 to about 83 and uh, really didn't do a whole lot of stuff. And he seems like one of those kind of guys where you see him and you probably see him in quite a few things. But he really didn't pop up that much. Um, kind of just went away. But he is having fun in this. He's he's rocking the uh, the. He's got the walk down. He's got the uh, the pimp clothes going on. The plume uh, hat. Yeah, he's he's really. It's very much a genre character, but it's it's a fun <laughs> genre character, right? So. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that's one of the first things I realized rewatching this in a critical eye. I mean, watching this as entertainment is one thing, but watching it with a critical eye, one of the first things I realized was, wow, man, this dialogue is. Stilted. Yeah, it's very stilted, and the way they're delivering it, you can tell they're not real comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also just feels like, even though there's quite a bit of dialogue, it almost feels like there's not enough. Like nobody's really acting like a natural person. It's just like, okay, I got four lines of dialogue here. I'm going to deliver these four lines, and then I'm going to stand here and wait for Pam Grier to deliver her four lines, and then yeah. we're just going to walk. <laughs> and that's what it feels like. So, and there's a few moments where you might feel like a little bit of improvisation. Like I said, from Derville Martin mostly and, and the Christopher Joy character, but most moments you're feeling like 
even the, the the main heavy shark character, he feels like way overwritten for me, and uh, some of the stuff he says is kind of silly. Uh, I mean, it's typical bad guy stuff. It just feels overwritten to me, and uh, not as good as it should be. Um, okay, so basically in this Friday, she's working in Chicago, which is about five and a half hours from where I'm at. Still not too far of a distance between the two big cities, if you want to call Louisville a big city. And she gets a call, come back home. Dad's in trouble. Uh, the loan business is uh, getting kind of seedy, getting a little crazy. She comes back home to Louisville. They pick her up. Uh, it's interesting, the drive to Louisville, the drive when they pick her up in the airport, and that Mustang, that red Mustang, uh, that's interesting. That drive is actually the same drive I drive every day uh, to go to work. Uh, one of the exits there I drive past every day. You can see some spires in the background. I was just They keep those lit up at night. So I, I uh, that, that's like a famous. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a famous kind of Louisville uh, old school church. And uh, uh, I was looking at that coming home the other night. I was looking at that over to my left as I was crossing the bridge from Indiana back into Kentucky. I was looking at that and thinking, "Wow, you know, it's it's crazy that I just watched a movie seeing those same spires in the background." And a lot of the stuff they drive past is still there. Uh, those tankers, those big tanks, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that stuff's still there. So. For me, it's interesting. Uh, you know, for some people, it's not such a big. If you live in a big city like uh, Los Angeles or a very well photographed city like Los Angeles, Toronto, New York City, places like that, or even Pittsburgh nowadays, uh, or New Orleans or something like that, it's not that crazy to see stuff that you know. But for somebody who comes from a small town like I do, in my opinion, a smaller town, it's always kind of interesting when I watch this or watch something like Stripes and stuff to see how they mess with the geography because. Uh, <laughs> Some of the stuff, the places they end up, you know, obviously, like most people that see movies, then they and then their hometowns, uh, you know, you can't get to that place from the way they're going. But you know, yeah. it is interesting to see it, and it's interesting to see how much of it kind of held up. Like, there's a scene where they're walking around water fountains. All those water fountains are still there. As a matter of fact, I was just in a wedding about a year and a half ago for my brother-in-law, and uh, they took pictures in front of those fountains. Uh, all those fountains you see, the water fountains at the that's called the Belvedere. Uh, right on the Ohio River. Uh, it's kind of like an area where you can just kind of walk around stuff by, by a very famous hotel called the Galt House, which is there as well, uh, and still in this movie as well. Uh, all that stuff's still there. Uh, there's some stuff added now, but all that stuff you see is still there, uh, downtown there. And the Main Street still looks pretty much the same. Matter of fact, I think the building that uh, the, saving, the Shane Savings and Loans in, I think it's still there. I think it's a Subway restaurant now, um, interestingly. So... Um, all that stuff's still there. It's kind of fun to see that anyway for me. Um, let's see here. Uh, more than a few scenes with uh, extras and uh, <laughs> actors watching the uh, the other actors, the leads. Yeah. Uh, more than enough of that going on. You can really see that this is a quick and dirty production. Uh, not only just because of that pro-chlorine sign we see at one point. <laughs> you wrote that one down too, huh? <laughs> yeah, that and the savings and loan sign that are drawn by my son. Uh, <laughs> that production value um you know this is a quick and dirty production that's what girdler was kind of known for and i think the reason why he managed to get so much work and so quickly was because he was able to make competent b movies on a very quick on a very quick turnaround uh again some of this stuff's kind of comical to look at in retrospect but especially the handmade signs and some of that stuff but he manages to turn and burn on this stuff pretty quick and it's effective it, i mean it works it looks silly if you look at it with a critical eye, um, but it, it, it works. And, uh, you know, he knows what he's doing. He knows he needs to put that chlorine sign up because he's going to have a scene where 
he's going to have the Shiva character stuff a guy's face in chlorine, which, by the way, has got to be painful. Um, chlorine is uh, – it, it'll burn the nose, pure chlorine will. So, you know, I can't imagine, you know, if, you, if it – of course, this is probably just flour or something, but – if you actually stick your face in chlorine, that's not going to be that's not going to be a good day. It's going to be a bad yeah, I day. I don't think you want it in your mouth either. No. Like either either way, whether it's liquid or uh, yeah, well, or def- powder. definitely not the liquid stuff like the like the shock type stuff. It's all that's that's essentially bleach. Yeah. So, but even chlorine itself, I mean, I, I've had a few swimming pools in my day, but I mean, that stuff can get overwhelming if it hits you just right. It'll burn right through the the nas- uh, the nostrils there, right through those passages, and light them uh, membranes up a little bit. But uh, you know he's he's putting that sign up there because you know it's it's, it's movie making one on one. He's going to show you the sign. He's, he's going to show you the character dipping uh, dipping his face in it. So mm-hmm. it's uh I think Girdler was a smart filmmaker. I mean I I don't again not a genius but again he made very few films in a very short time. I think if he'd have had his chance to stick around, I think he'd have been just fine. Bigger budgets and because he was able to rip off on genres and do them quite effectively. So you can imagine that if he'd have been given the right. Uh, cash flow and everything else, he would have been just fine in the uh, in the uh, system. Yeah, and everything everything I've always ever heard about him was that he was very very enthusiastic mm-hmm. about everything mm-hmm. uh, that had had to do with movies. So yeah, he was movie man through and through. So yeah, you know, there, there, there's always a uh, a bit of sadness when uh, I know movie buffs that I know that live here. Well, when we start talking about Girdler, there's always a bit of sadness to it because of a what could have been situation. I mean, he could have been. He could have easily have been, by the time he was done, he could have been maybe the most prolific and popular filmmaker from Louisville, Kentucky of all time. Sure. And uh, there seems to be a lot of that in, in, from uh, Louisville filmmakers. I mean, D.W. Griffith, obviously a legend in his own right for reasons that either you you know, either you get behind or you don't. Okay, I, I know. Well, that. I mean, outside of the context of the actual yeah. film, outside, uh, I mean, out, well, outside he, of one, he was yeah. absolutely instrumental in in developing uh, film vocabulary and, yeah. and the actual technique of uh, of filmmaking. Yeah. yeah, he's a legend. So, I mean, you, I mean, you cannot deny that. Yeah, he's a legend. I mean, it's you know, and he he made films in a time when uh, political correctness was not uh, not important. So right. um, he's easily the giant that came out of this town, but. I think Girdler would have been uh, probably the the um, the crowd pleaser that would have came out of this town. Would have been the one that everybody would have talked about. And it's kind of sad because I kind of feel like you know maybe he wouldn't be getting work now, but he'd be definitely be a really popular uh, convention. Uh, you know, he'd be like a um, uh, who am I trying to th- I'm trying to think of uh, the guy that did uh, joysticks and uh, oh uh, oh damn it what's his name uh, man <laughs> oh Final <laughs> Justice and all that stuff. Um, yeah, what is his name? Why why were we drawing a blank on his name? Oh Jesus. I can't believe we're drawing a blank on his name. Yeah, without warning and uh that yeah. <laughs> What is oh, wrong? Son of a bitch. <laughs> I hear you typing, you must be looking or something. I have to. Graydon Clark. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And Graydon's had a you know, uh, he's had a great career as far as B movies go and uh, he's got a great book, by the way. If you guys haven't read his book, his book is great. It's got great back uh, behind the scenes stories on actors and uh b-movie production stuff and really great stuff because it kind of gets into like almost every film he did he put his house up for uh collateral and uh his wife would always support him and he would always kind of come out uh you know kind of squeaky clean in the end but uh he would always just kind of dive right in so it's it, a lot of great stories i do believe the believe the girdler would be you know he'd be a like a staple on the especially around the on these local you know your horror hounds and things like that on these local uh conventions he would definitely be a big deal. Oh, yeah. 
Um, again, like I said earlier, the film is PG. It's kind of weird in retrospect because there is a there's a lot of gunshots and some violence. Uh, not not any nudity, so really, there's some implied sexuality though. Uh, Darvill Martin's characters, and it's implied that he's having a foursome. Uh, there's uh, there's a lot of side boob from uh, Pam in that yeah, one scene. Yeah, a lot of side boob from Pam, and there's a you know an after sex scene with her and Austin Stoker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I think some of the material now, uh, I mean, past '74 anyway, certainly. Uh, you get into like the '80s and stuff. I'm sure that uh, it would probably be rated R now. I don't. I don't know for sure, but I mean, I would think there was. It seems like there was some squib stuff. So I think that the, it would probably be rated R. Um. Yeah. Yeah. There was actually there was a, a pretty juicy little shootout there in the uh, around the midpoint. Yep. Yep. So and just some of the implied violence too, because there's some pretty crazy stunt scenes and stuff. I think it would probably be rated R now. But again, PG was a different thing in the '70s than it is now. It would certainly be PG-13. We could definitely make that argument. It would definitely be that now. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Pilot is an interesting character. This is the Dervin Martin character. Now, he's the heavy. Uh, Dervin Martin, um, as I said, he died young. He was only 45 when he died. He died of a heart attack. He worked a lot uh, in the 70s. Uh, matter of fact, you could probably run across most black exploitation films in some way, shape, or form and run into Derville Martin in some way. Um, he's going to be in there in some way, shape, or form. I mean, he's... He's uh, in everything from, well, he's he's, from, he's well, he's in Rosemary's Baby, which I didn't even know. Uh, <laughs> plays Diego in that. I, I don't even remember him in that. No. Um, let's see. It looks like he he showed up for the first time in The Legend of Nigger Charlie, nineteen seventy two. That's a black exploitation thing, as far as that goes. Looks like he, before that he did a lot of TV. Ooh, he's in an episode. He played uh, the champ in the Monkeys in the Ring in the episode of the Monkeys. I remember that. The monkeys in the boxing, yeah. Love me some monkeys. But he was in Hammer, he's in Black Caesar, uh, the sequel to Nigger Charlie, The Soul of Nigger Charlie. And I'm not saying this because I like saying that word. I'm saying it because that's the name of the movie. So if any of you guys get offended, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the Also, the other one with the N-word in it with Fred Williamson, the Western. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm tired of saying it. <laughs> Most infamous, infamously, maybe uh, Dolomite. He's in that as well. Um. Disco 9000. I mean, he did a lot of stuff. I like the Disco 9000 character named uh, Stuff Man. That's a great name. Uh, the Big Score, which I think is an underrated uh, Fred Williamson film from uh, 1983. Uh, this is That's past the black exploitation prime, but I think that's an underrated one. That's got, uh, if I remember right, that's got Ed Lauder, and uh, it's got a real fun performance from uh, uh, Christian Glover's dad in it, uh, Bruce Glover. Joe Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. And... Uh, that's got a good cast. I'm clicking on it now. It's got John Saxon, Richard Browntree, Fred Williamson, Ed Lauder, Derville Martin, Bruce Glover, Joe Spinell, Frank Pesci. That's a, that's a strong cast. But I do remember thinking uh, the final score is a, a real. It's a pretty good late cycle Fred Williamson uh, kind of black exploitation. When you know he's he kind of hung on to that uh, genre longer than most. Uh, arguably, he's still kind of hanging on to it. But he, uh, Derville Martin, he popped up in a lot of stuff. Like I said, Black Samurai is even in supposedly so. Ooh, he's in The Bear from 1984. That was the last thing he did. That's the Gary Busey, Alabama, Coach Bear Bryant film. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know he was in that. But, yeah, he, he, he was kind of a staple and worked a lot, very short time. Maybe that might have contributed to his uh, passing away at a young age. I don't know. But he's fun. He At one point, uh, one of the other heavies says, hey, you know, pilot, you're going to run all the pawn shops in the West End now. The West End of Louisville is the poor, historically the poor and African-American-based end of Louisville. still is. 
And uh, so it's nice that they got that accurate. Um, when I was growing up, there were a lot of pawn shops down there, uh, liquor stores, typical of any poverty-based area. It doesn't have to be African-American-based, but typically, typical of any poverty-based area, there's a lot of, you know, it's the American way. You know, you, you stick liquor stores in the poor end of town. You stick, uh, you know, you always stick the vices where the poor people live because, you know, they're, they're looking for uh, whatever they can to get by. And you can make a mint. It's a sad, sad truth of the uh, of the system, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta say, Pam Greer in this is pretty much she's pretty much just a kind of a straight badass. I mean she she walks into that situation in the uh, the water plant with the, the pro chlorine sign, and uh, I mean she just manhandles that dude and and she manhandles Walker. I mean she just I mean she's straight bad. I mean nobody nobody even thinks to stand up to her. I mean. When the gun's there, oh. I understand, but I mean, she she still. I mean, there's moments where she's not really handling that gun. That gun's too big for her, and you think, you know, these guys can make a move, but these guys are they're petrified. They like they've seen Pam Greer movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what you, you feel know, like. She, she's probably got it. She's probably got a couple of razor blades sticking in her uh, mm-hmm. in her hair too. Yep, yep. So she's pretty good. It's uh, there's a very weird choice film wise in this. Probably the weirdest choice for me in the Girdler film uh, selection. This one is. The scene where Pilot's preaching to his bag, his his cronies, which is kind of a fun scene. It's a great scene for Devrell Martin because he kind of he gets to kind of show his kind of charisma and uh, his powder blue suit, and he mm-hmm. kind of gets to talk and stuff. And but there's a weird bit of filmmaking there where they keep cutting to the crony behind him. Yes, he's the blankest slab ever. <laughs> yeah. And he keeps going, yeah, that's, that's right. right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like. First of all, he's boring. Second of all, why are you cutting to that guy? He's behind him. Yep. Uh, it's just it makes no sense film wise. I mean, I'm not again. I'm not a filmmaker, but I don't know. He had a good face. I'll say that his two cronies. I like their faces. They they had great faces. I mean, they they looked the part. Even though that one part where they're down at the bottom of the stairs looking at him, they look like they're about ready to go to sleep. Both of them <laughs> <laughs> looking up at him like, what's wrong with Derville Martin, man? This guy's crazy. Um, like we said, Walker's a fun character. He plays the pimp. Uh, he's having a lot of fun. I like his, uh, $5, $5, man. Yeah. $5, man. Uh, he got, you know, he's got the trunk full of goods. He's waiting to get the car wash. He does, uh, have one of the best moments in the movie when he's talking to, to Sheba and the other guy outside in the parking lot, but he does have some of the worst acting in the movie too. When he does his phone acting with, uh, pilot, come, oh, on, yeah. come on, pilot, man, oh, pilot, oh, Man. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 I'm not doing it justice. It's pretty bad. Uh, but it's kind of fun. Again, like I said, um, here's the, here's something I wondered this time. I got to wonder if, and I think, I think this is the case. I didn't look, I didn't see anything on the trivia, but I got to wonder if Pam did her own stunts. There's a scene in this movie where she is in a car. She gets out of the car. She's running through the streets. She runs up a hill and I'm pretty sure a car almost nails her. Uh, of course, you know, it's perspective. So obviously the car might not have been as close as it looked, but there's some pretty dangerous stunts, I think for a lead actor to be doing. Now this is a low budget production. So I'm thinking it's got to be her and it looks like her because her run is very distinctive. She's got a certain kind of run. She does. It doesn't look like there was a backup in any way, shape or form. So I'm thinking Pam did her own stunts for this movie. And it's a pretty impressive scene. I really like that scene where it goes from the chase scene in the streets and then around the project area. And some of those buildings are still here, by the way. And uh, into this like little carnival, uh, where uh, she's kind of playing uh, kind of a cat and mouse game with the Derville Martin heavies and Derville Martin himself. 
that 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 whole that whole sequence works pretty well as far as filmmaking goes. I don't know how you felt about it. Uh, no, yeah, that does actually work pretty well. Uh, it's some uh, some nice inner kind of you got a, you got a decent enough uh, sense of the area mm-hmm. that you can follow it pretty well. Uh, they go into the wacky house or whatever the hell they, they the call sh- it. Yeah, the they, Shake Shack. The Shake Shack. There you go. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and they they uh, have a little bit of fun in there. And then of course you you know you got to love the scene where she she you know puts the guy's head basically on the roller coaster rail and yeah. is threatening to have him get run over. I mean, yeah. Who wouldn't squeal at that point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, 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 but it's it's like it's going back to like what you said with, um, you know, everybody's everybody's uh, kind of just uh, knuckles under as soon as she shows up, and th- this is that. It's like, how you, you going to tell me that you couldn't break free of Pam Greer's grip? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, again, it, it feels like I always joke with some people when I say to folks, you know, it's it's like you know. Steven Seagal walks into a room and here's this overweight guy with a ponytail and a dyed beard and everybody's scared to death. Now, Steven Seagal is a bit of an intimidating figure. This is a little different than Pam Greer, who I've met Pam Greer in person. She's a very sweet and very nice, very gentle person. Steven Seagal, maybe totally different situation, but they might smell the same. Who knows? But either way, he walks into a room. You almost think to yourself, okay, he's a bit imposing, but he looks like a guy who's really trying to hang on to his youth. He's kind of a joke. But if you've seen Steven Seagal movies, Steven Seagal walks into the room, and even if you're a movie character, you know, it's like some of these, when you think about it, like your Charles Bronson's, and you think about your action movie stars, uh, you think about some of the, the, the people that they rough around sometimes. Sometimes they're big guys. Sometimes they're, they look like they could be more intimidating than the lead. But it's always that kind of action movie thing of you almost feel like the action movie cronies have seen the same movies that the audience has. <laughs> And that they're always, you know, kind of like, okay, well, this is a Steven Seagal movie. So here he is. He's walking in here. Yes, this guy, he's wearing a muumuu and he's carrying a guitar for no reason. But he uh, <laughs> he, he scares me. So <laughs> which you, you should be scared, though, if somebody's walking around wearing a, you know, a muumuu and carrying a guitar and singing some blues. But then all of a sudden wearing yellow uh, shooting range glasses. It's like, what's going on here? This guy's making me nervous. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, hey, uh, what, are you, what are you doing over there? Hey you! <laughs> hey you! You got any uh, just for men? <laughs> <laughs> I need something for my call man. Yeah. Uh, he's easy to make fun of, like like all action stars. Easy to make fun of in hindsight. Sure, yep. sure. It's it's a it's a thankless role being an action star because really when you think about it, and I've been reading, I have that uh, new book that uh, David Moore put out the uh, the action film guy. I can't remember the name of it off the top. The good, the bad, and the badass, or whatever it's called. I, I don't. Uh, sorry, David. I, I think he listens to the show, so I apologize to him right now. Um, but it's a, it's a really good book, and uh, I've been looking at that lately. And I, I think to myself, man, these action stars, when their moment shines, it shines bright. But when it goes out, man, they get made fun of maybe quicker than any other actor. Oh yeah, poor bastards. Easily. Yeah, poor bastards, man. They really get ran through the ringer when when the shit's not going well for them. I mean, immediately people are like, oh, even in that movie, he was shit. But, I mean, the movie was cool. I'm like, oh, yeah. come on, man. <laughs> it, it, there's a certain kind of actor that can carry an action movie. Uh, whether you like that kind of acting or not, that's that's up for debate. But not everybody can do it. You could argue that from day one. If you watch enough films, you can argue that from day one. There's a reason why Charles Bronson works. And... um 
Emo Phillips doesn't. Yeah, Emo Phillips doesn't. Oh, man, that would be amazing. Emo <laughs> Phillips in oh, Death Wish Part 5. I'd be all over that. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. <laughs> I'd be more interesting than the idea of Bruce Willis and Eli Roth doing Death Wish. I can tell you that right now. Hell, yeah. I'd definitely. I'd, you know who'd be good? Uh, here's, here's, a, here's a Death Wish casting coup. Louis C.K. There you go. Put Louis C.K. He looks like an everyman. Put him in there. Give him the uh, the Charles Bronson role. There you go. Of course, he'd probably just sit there lecturing the, the thugs. <laughs> yeah. You know you're yeah. not supposed to do it. Come yeah. on. Well, you can... Look, when my kids were growing up, I thought to myself, <laughs> let me tell you what's right and what's wrong. Um, anyway, the film's basically a standard, you know, catch the bad guy type movie. It's fun. Uh, there is a nice big gigantic set piece toward the back end. Pam kind of dresses up as a prostitute. She kind of infiltrates um it can be seen as uh, well, it is quite misogynistic. The back end, the shark character and his crew in the oh, little yeah. houseboat. Again, it's supposed to be they're the bad guys. Uh, that's all set on the Ohio River. Uh, this would have been back in the day when the Ohio River was a was a just a well of pollution because uh, it was a very dirty river. I, I still would not eat anything at this point in time out of that river. Um, I probably have, uh, but uh, I still wouldn't. It's uh, not a. Uh, it's not a. Uh, clean river by any shape oh, there are a lot of a lot of industrial stuff like a lot of rivers in big cities mm-hmm. unfortunately you know before the the environmental agencies really kind of paid attention it was almost too late so you know a lot of people dumped a lot of stuff in there and uh it used to smell really bad in the summers in the 70s from what i'm told i, I don't remember as a kid I, I mean i remember being a kid and going down there and thinking it smelled awful as in like some rivers do smell like fish and dirt and mud and yeah, it's still, yeah, you get that mud smell. Yeah, it's very much. I almost took a picture of it. I was driving, uh, so I couldn't. It wasn't a safe thing to do. But I almost took a picture of it the other day going to work because it looks exactly like it does in this movie where it's very brown. It's very much a southern river, um, a Mississippi uh, you know, type river. Mm-hmm. It gets uh, a little bit more dark colored as you go up toward Ohio and head that way. But uh, definitely the Kentucky side is definitely a uh, southern river, which is usually typically your very brown kind of uh, – you know, hot cocoa, coffee-based kind of water that you see in southern movies. Uh, a lot of rain runoff, things like that. <clears throat> so if you're familiar with what a river looks like, uh, I always like that in uh, like Jeff Nichols films and stuff like that, like in uh, Mud and and even in some David Gordon Green films and stuff. When they shoot around rivers, they, they don't go to like the, the clear water river. Like they go to the actual southern river because southern, southern state rivers are typically very murky, very uh, muddy. You know, you're looking. You know, you're looking for catfish. You're in there noodling. You know, you're looking for that kind of stuff. You're looking for that kind of action. You're not. Uh, well, it's know. kind of where they, they. I would imagine where they get the that expression Mississippi mud, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, you definitely uh, definitely has that look and that feel. Uh, not a river I would swim in either. Uh, notorious for the in my area, notorious. Ohio River is notorious for multiple currents that will sweep you under. So, a lot of people drown sadly in that river every year. So uh, it's not the kind of river you would look at as recreational. So they use it as kind of a recreational thing in here. Again, there's always, whenever there's a body of water, there's always going to be recreation. People are always going to be around it. There's going to be campsites, houseboats, things like that, pontoons, as we call them down here, uh, kind of bigger boats. I don't know if they have pontoons up north. I, think. That's my, I guess they would. I mean, there's a, you know fishermen and stuff like that. Pontoon boat's a good boat to fish off of. You know, a couple of aluminum uh kind of torpedoes on each side uh yep. kind of kick back you know throw, throw the rod over the thing so anyway uh it's uh they, they said an action piece Th- those little boats though we do see those little boats here occasionally because there is a 
kind of a famous uh, speedboat race up up uh, Indiana way in Madison uh, that uh, kind of goes through every year. So we still see those boats with those uh, big V8s and V12s on them, those big mufflers and stuff. We still see those occasionally. Those boats that you know look like they'd be awesome to drive until you actually got on the water and they probably would like crush your innards, you know, crush your organs because there's no shocks and everything else, and you're hitting that rock that that uh, those waves at like 80, 90 miles an hour, and it's like hitting yeah. fucking asphalt, you know, and it's it, uh, it's not it's not nearly as uh, picturesque no. uh, when you're actually in the boat. No, no, I've been in a speedboat before. It's not as much fun as uh-huh. it looks. Uh, it's not as glamorous as it looks in like Miami Vice. <laughs> no, it really isn't. It's uh, kind of a scary experience, actually. If you're, uh, well, I'm I'm kind of fearful of water, so I'm a bit of a hydrophobe. So I think it's the right word. Um, maybe that isn't the right word. I don't know. Either way, uh, I am. Uh, I'm not a swimmer. I don't really care for water. Um, and uh, so being in those boats is like a is a. Well, it's an ass. Let's put it this way: you put a lump of coal in my ass, <laughs> you're getting a big ass diamond. <laughs> let me tell you. You're well, gonna... and the other thing is that um, going on speedboats, especially if you're a, a glasses wearer, mm. is uh, man, you just get nothing but spray. Bad deal. Yep. Bad deal. Yeah, glasses. I used to be a long hair guy. That's a bad deal too. Uh, oh yeah. You got riding speedboat. You know, might yeah, look cool. Do your dippity do. Yeah, might look cool while you're riding. You know, you look like uh, you know you're riding down through there. You look like uh, Margaret Markov or whatever her name is from Bob, Bob, Black Mom White Mom with the hair <laughs> blowing in the wind. But when you get out, you got to brush that shit. Yep. And I don't care how many Britney Fox records you got. That shit that that takes a long time to brush through that shit. So like, oh, I'm serious when you get off that fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. At the girls' school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My baby broke all the rules. Yeah. <laughs> well, singing for you this morning. I like That's that. pretty good. Yeah, thank you. A little uh, girl school Tom Kiefer S type singing. Uh, a little Cinderella. I don't really have much else to say. I, I will say this: I don't know of very many movies that. Uh, Sell the harpoon as a silencer type weapon. This one's got a nice dart sound to it. Uh, she's a hell of a shot with that uh, harpoon. It's not really a. Doesn't look like a kind of harpoon you could shoot somebody at a distance on speedboats with. No, no, it's got the fishing reel on it too. <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway, she's a hell of a shot. I love the sound effect. As a matter of fact, I rewound it a couple times. Listen to that sound effect each time. I love it. So definitely the uh, the standard silencer sound effect for movies. Mm-hmm. That you hear, and it's kind of fun. And uh, Shark's reaction, um, and I'm not giving anything away. I don't think it's a spoiler. I mean, this no. is a good guy, bad guy movie. But Shark's reaction to the uh, <laughs> harpoon is, is uh, acting 101, let me tell you. <laughs> he's, he's selling it. Yeah, he really is. And she wears that, it should say, just for safety's sake, she wears that scuba suit way too long. I mean, uh, as far as I know, I'm not a diver, but, I, you know, you're supposed to wear those things when you're in the water. You're not supposed to wear them for a long time after you get out. Supposedly they'll dehydrate you, I think. Uh, I because I think they absorb uh, water out of your body and things like that because that's what they're kind of designed to do. But she wears it for a long time. Not not that I'm complaining because Pam Greer in a scuba suit is, um, hey, I'm fine with it, especially when she unzips it. I'm, ooh. Yeah. Like I said, there's not a lot of nudity from Pam in this, but the Sheba character is a sexy character, let me tell you. She's, oh, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Well, show. I mean, she can't help it, though. I mean, yeah. Yeah, the girl, that's just her. The girl can't help it. That's right. No, exactly. She, as the song says, she did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So there we go. All right, I'll kick it over to you if you got anything else to add. Uh, not really a ton. Um, uh, at the very at the very beginning there, you have the the possibly the least inconspicuous thugs ever uh, watching the savings alone, and uh, when they get out of the car to to go hit the place up, they have to actually wait for traffic. Uh, it's just it's one of those little things you're just watching it, and you're like, 
it's, it, you know what? It's true. But there's, there's not that it, much. It's still, kind of, it's still kind of silly. Yeah. They're not as uh, they're not as badass as you think they might be. They got to wait. You know, cars will still hit them. Yeah, there's not that much traffic in Louisville at that time of night. I can tell you that right now. And by, and where I'm from, that's called jaywalking, bro. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they're thugs, man. They they don't care. Yeah, yeah. they're criminals. Yeah, I mean, if, if, um, if you're working in the office and you see those guys across the street, you know something's up. But then when you see the way they cross the street, you're like, okay, well, we better lock, we better lock the door. <laughs> um, the, the one thing that I really like about this movie, um, well, one of the things that I, I like about this movie is that, and like you like you were saying with the whole, you know, all the, the, the stuff about Kentucky, is that it's a great snapshot of a time and place. And mm-hmm. you really pick that up at the beginning yeah. uh, as well when she's in Chicago. Yeah. Um, you know, you just get all those those great urban kind of shots that mm-hmm. uh, 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 an era that just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's really um, in a lot of ways, it's one of Girdler's, uh, like a few of his films. It's like one of his love letters to the city he grew up in. So it's kind of sure. nice. And it's great to see. You know, it's great to see all those things. And you, uh, like you said, I mean, a lot of that stuff hasn't changed, but a lot of it has. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's always nice to go well, back. There, and, uh, there was massive tornadoes in Kentucky in Louisville in 1973. There's been we always have tornado issues here. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was really, really super destructive tornadoes in 73. That's the year I was born. Uh, and um, my grandparents used to always talk about them, saying that I came in with the tornadoes. It's one of those country things you say, you know. Sure. And uh, that I would, you know, when I would lose my temper as a kid, that uh, they, my grandfather would always bring up, oh, yeah, it's them, them 73 tornadoes. And I'd be like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> But uh, I always thought that'd be a good character for a story, you know, some kid that's born during a massive tornado and he kind of comes into the world, grows up, and he's like a, you know, he's like a tornado himself, a tornado of justice. I could see somebody like Joe R. Lansdale writing a story about that. Yeah, yeah, that's totally a Lansdale type thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's interesting that that uh, I think Abby, you see a lot of the destruction that those tornadoes caused. But uh, it seems like Girdler was kind of sticking around Louisville in some ways to kind of give people work because uh, those tornadoes really messed up the city pretty bad. They usually don't hit the city. They usually hit the outskirts like most tornadoes. But uh, these tornadoes evidently in 73 did a lot of damage. So you can look them up online. I'm sure there's pictures. Oh, I'm sure there is. Um, let's see here. Uh, da, da, da. Pam uh, has a different outfit on for pretty much every single scene. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things where it just – it's conspicuously different every scene because it's like, you know, at, at at ten o'clock in the morning she's wearing one thing, at like ten thirty she's wearing something else, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong; she looks great in everything she wears, but yeah, it's just one of those things that stands out to you a little bit. Um, of course, you have the uh, the police who are absolutely no use to anybody, <laughs> uh, especially to uh, you know the black community and all that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, it's the staple of the black exploitation film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the one thing, one thing that I found kind of interesting is that um, the uh, Sheba character is she's she's masculine and she's feminine uh, in equal parts, but then she has a really large gun. I mean, like you said, it's almost inappropriate for her because mm-hmm. it's so massive. Yeah. But uh, one of the one of the points is that uh, when she goes back to uh, to Kentucky um, and she gets back with uh, with her dad and all that, they call her Little Andy, right? Yeah. So it's kind of you know. Kind of making her a little bit more masculine, a little more tomboyish than uh, than anything else. But um, but then of course you know on the other side of it, I mean she's she's pure you know sex incarnate. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Um, oh uh, yeah, the pilot giving the uh, giving his little speech there, and you have the blankest reaction shots in the history of cinema, <laughs> and that bald guy was just oh, man, he's a slab of granite. Um, 
there's the one scene where uh, she shoots Chuck Berry right in the eye. Um, Chuck which Berry. I, yeah, <laughs> you, come on, he looked just like Chuck Berry. He did. Uh, do, uh, the scene with Walker, one of the things that I found funny was that uh, he has probably the shortest getaway run ever. I think he goes maybe 50 yards, not even. And then he stops and he turns around and says, oh, she's gone. And then he goes back to his car. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, are you serious? You're falling for this shit? <laughs> not the smartest, uh, not the smartest uh, street guy in the whole wide world. Not the smartest pimpy kind of character in the whole wide world. Wow, that's. I'm looking. I did some Google search. I did do a Google search for those tornadoes in '74, and there's some actual video from some of the uh, the buildings. I didn't think there was video. There's some actual video from some of the buildings downtown Louisville showing the tornado. I mean, this is twister esque the size of this tornado. So yeah, you could see where it would have done a lot of damage. Really? Yeah, pretty crazy. It's got it pretty frightening. It's actually a little short documentary called Day of the Killer Tornadoes. 14-minute film. I think I might have to check that out later. Uh, we've never really had tornadoes in my area. I mean, well, you know, close, but we've never we've never really been a tornado. Yeah, we're area. in a we're in a va- we're in a valley. It's called the Ohio Valley. So we're in this valley and it's it's basically a it's essentially the same thing as your uh kind of uh your kind of area in Oklahoma through Texas there. Mm-hmm. That area kind of slides right up into us. By the time those tornado and that weather comes and that 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 those tornadoes slide up toward us and then usually a cold front sweeps down right right where we're at right on the base of the Ohio River and in that valley so that pushes those tornadoes right through us and that's why you know we're kind of notorious to have a uh, a tornado I can tell you this growing up with tornado uh, warnings and things like that I would take massive snow or maybe just about any other uh thing outside of flooding we do have flooding issues too, but I would take anything over tornadoes because tornadoes are so unpredictable. Yeah, and having children with uh, growing up in a tornado area, having them, uh, you know, raising children in a tornado area is a uh, ooh man. I tell you, when those alarms go off, you'll be you'll be asleep, and uh, literally the sirens start going off, and you have to go grab kids and take yeah. them to the basement and stuff. And I spent a lot of my youth, man, in basements, uh, hoping that the house wouldn't blow away. So, you know, I know I feel for anybody that lives out in uh, the, that kind of panhandle, that kind of Tornado Alley area. Oklahoma, East Texas type area, speaking of Lansdale. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I couldn't I, I couldn't uh, imagine that. We, I mean, like I said, we've never really had anything besides uh, flooding issues here. Yeah. And even then, I mean, the, the place where I am is basically on top of a mountain. So yeah. Um, there's nothing that we really have to deal with as far as that sort of thing, except for the snow. I mean, when we get hit by snow, we really get hit by snow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, there's nothing that we've had to worry about, thank God, for uh, as far as the, any of the other, yeah. the other sort of stuff. That's the thing with the, this tornadoes. It's just the unpredictability of them. Sure, sure. It's I just, mean, yeah, you know, one minute, you know, you could be in your – I mean, I can tell you this. I've been in a few situations where they've touched down and maybe the house is 10, 15 – houses down from us took some major damage not 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 completely wiped the house out never been anything that bad uh like you see on tv or in the movies but they you know might take the roof off something like that uh and literally they'll take two houses in a row they'll skip a house and then they'll hit the house next to that and that's the thing about tornadoes that's scary is that you know they'll they'll drop down they'll wipe out a couple houses They'll, it'll come out, it'll, it'll, it'll go back up, it'll miss a couple houses, and then come down and knock out a house across the street, and then maybe go back across the way and knock another couple houses out. Yeah. So you're just, really, you're just in the basement thinking, Jesus, please, don't, don't knock us out, don't take our house out. And then you come back outside, and you're like, 
Oh man, poor poor uh, Jimmy DeGaffa over there that was working on Sheba Baby, man. He lost his house over there. The grip. <laughs> yeah, that grip. Yeah. That best boy over there. <laughs> Nobody in Kentucky talks like that, I should say. No. <laughs> Nobody talks like Tony Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> I love to read the classics. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see me in Ben Ho? <laughs> uh, oh my god! Anyway, um, uh, yeah, you were mentioning the uh, the car wash scene, and that's one of the things that also stood out to me is that you know they they really really love car wash scenes back in the seventies. Yeah, that car wash isn't there anymore. Sadly, I looked it up. Not there. Huh? Old school car washes, man. They're they're a thing of the past. Yeah, yeah, no, they are now. Um, but, uh, it was one of those staples. Um, what was with the name of the boat? Neutronic? <laughs> that, am I missing something on that? Is that like a, a, is that like a fish thing? Is that a, like a, I, I don't know. I, I mean, don't, I don't get it. I think that it was, you know, I think that again, everything was kind of fish related. So I think maybe, you know, cause like I said, everything was, you know, shark, whale. Yeah. 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 Everything like that. Pilot. You could argue the pilot. Yeah. But there's pilot whales, pilot right? Fish. Yeah, pilot fish, pilot whales. So you could argue that, that I didn't even think about that. But pilots actually, uh, I don't think there's any Sheba fish. Uh nothing I'm aware of. No. Are there any brickfish? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you know, on the on the neutronic, you get a little bit of cat fighting that ends with a nice pie in the face. Yeah, that's a that's a devastating uh, finishing move right there. <laughs> it is. That'll that'll take you out, buddy. <laughs> Every time, man. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but it's like. Every it's, to me, almost everything about this film feels really, really casual, uh, and it's like you were saying, it's it's, it's kind of like that that TV TV movie of the week sort of thing, where it's just yeah. kind of like everything just kind of plods along, and yeah. you need you know you're you're getting told things, and then just people kind of stand around waiting for the next thing to happen, yeah, uh, just marking time more or less. It's fun, uh, it's fun, but there's like no there's no real bite to it, you know. No, there's no there's no real yeah exactly. There's nothing. There's not much in the way of I I don't really know how else to describe it other than energy. Yeah. Uh, going on underneath it. I mean, even in the scenes that are that are more action oriented, mm-hmm. uh, outside of being well done technically, they're not really like you know put you on the edge of your seat, you know, pumping your fist in the air, getting really involved in that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and the score uh, to me felt more like it was suited for either a comedy or a porn. Um, than uh, than it did to uh, uh, an action movie outside of a couple of uh, outside of a couple of pieces. Yeah, I uh, like the uh, like the theme songs and that the the the, uh, the two songs that uh, bookend the, the movie. I think it was two songs. On yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, there's a nice uh, the the theme. I believe it's done by Monk Higgins and uh, Alex Brown. That's the two names I wrote down. Uh, again, not exactly. I think Monk Higgins did. Uh, well, looks like only Sheba Baby, and Alex Brown did only Sheba Baby. So again, this is this is not your standard welcome. I mean, this is not Quincy Jones or somebody like that or Herbie Hancock. Somebody scoring this. This is pretty much a one and done deal. Uh, yeah. But the one of the themes is pretty. It's used quite often. I mean, I know I've I've heard uh, some of the. I'm kind of clicking through it because I know I got the. I know I got this. Uh, Somewhere I know I got this uh, this music uh, on here. I'm pretty sure I do. Actually, you know what? Of all the things I have, I have like <laughs> I have like all those soundtracks to like some of my favorites, and one of them I don't have is Sheba Baby. How <laughs> how fitting is that? That the one I would look for is the one I don't have. 
Yeah, great. Yeah. I have every other one. I got Friday Foster. I got my coffee. I got my uh, Foxy Brown, but I don't have any Sheba. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to fix that. I'm gonna have because I do like the theme song and I do like the kind of music that plays during some of the action pieces. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, it it just feels more suited for something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's not bad by no. any stretch of the imagination. No, no. It's, it's totally you know, serviceable. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. But it it just it just didn't feel appropriate to the the film, and really, it's just kind of that was that was my whole takeaway from the movie as on on in uh, in total is that it just doesn't it doesn't do more than be workmanlike. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's strictly you know by the numbers, and maybe this is because it was PG thirteen. I don't know whether or PG. Sorry, this was way before PG thirteen. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, maybe it was because of that. I don't know whether they needed for it to come in at, at a PG rating or not, um, and maybe that you know restricted them from what they would have liked to do more of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, on the on the whole, it's just it just really kind of goes along. And there's some nice there's some nice moments. I really like it when, when Pam gets to do her Pam badass thing. A little bit of music from it. There you go. There you go. That was a good one. Yeah, there we go. Barbara Mason. Ooh. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of that. A little bit of that. I mean, again, it's good. It's not, yeah. I, and, I, and I agree with you. I feel the same way about the movie. It's totally serviceable black exploitation type project, but not, uh, yeah, it's not the, the you know, the, uh, the top of the mountain as far as black. <laughs> yeah, not the top of the mountain. Correct. Exploitation goes. Um, but it's not, it's not, uh, it's not, you know, it's not down in the dregs either. I've seen, I've certainly seen a hell of a lot worse. And this, as far as uh, black exploitation goes, or mm-hmm. you know, genre movies in general, PI movies in general, uh, yeah. revenge movies in general. Yeah. Um. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, it's, it's just, I mean, even Shark at the end, because here was, here was one of the things that stood out to me was at, at first when, uh, when I saw a pilot and uh, and we started going along, I was, uh, I was kind of thinking, okay, uh, was uh, when we first start off and we're introduced to pilot, um. I was watching and I was thinking to myself, well, you know, this is a nice little twist that, you know, instead of having it be the typical, you know, blacks versus white, you know, white bad guy kind of thing, it's, you know, a black guy who's who's the villain. But then later on, of course, you're introduced to the shark and then you're like, oh, okay, well, it actually is that then and pilot's just another pawn mm-hmm. in this uh, in this whole thing. Uh, but shark is just incredibly bland, I thought. Yeah. Um, he, he just he, he's a he, like the like that guy who the the ball thug of pilots you know he's just kind of a, a blank slab mm-hmm. and he doesn't really do anything extraordinary his his overall plan is not all that interesting um, outside of being something that you know if I were a villain I would probably do uh, but you know outside of that I, there's nothing really to to make him stand out at all except for his hair. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, he's got a head of hair on him. He does. Uh, oh my god, I'm so envious. <laughs> but, uh, but outside of that, he, he just, you know, he doesn't do anything. He's, he's a scumbag, and he's, you know, a smarmy scumbag, and he's tall, and he has a good head of hair, and that's about it about him. Um, Chances are he may. Have I, I would have preferred it if if Pilot had remained the main bad guy because Pilot's more interesting. Yeah. Than Marcus, and in about a million different ways. And maybe that's because you know uh, what, what's the guy's name? Merrifield. I, I don't yeah, remember. Dick Dick Merrifield. Yeah. Merrifield, uh, who plays Shark, is just you know kind of he's just kind of there, man. But uh, Derville Martin actually you know he he puts it out there and he actually tries to uh, to do something you know with his character. So yeah, it looks like Dick Merrifield played uh, 
a technician web on an episode of Star Trek, so chances are he was a red shirt at one point. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, well, that's it figures. Uh, <laughs> considering this, but uh, outside of that, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not a not a great movie, not a bad movie. It's yeah. really really middle of the road. Yeah, um, and that's that's the majority of what I got to say about it. I mean, like I said, not really a lot because I didn't really get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but worth seeing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, you know, I agree. I mean, I think it's it's definitely, you know, I mean, the disc is pretty great. It comes with, uh, I got the disc in front of me here. So it's like I've got, I've got a couple audio commentaries. you got one from Patty Breen, who runs WilliamGirdler.com, pretty popular website as far as uh, Girdler fans are concerned. Uh, you got some interviews with David Sheldon. you got some Pam Greer, the AIP years, a little documentary on there, mm-hmm. some galleries, things like another audio commentary from David Sheldon himself with uh, Nathan Thompson. Kind of going, it's film critic, uh, kind of moderating him. So you get a, I mean, you get a nice little package, and it looks nice. Uh, the film looks good on blue. So, uh, you know, if you're a Greer fan, definitely worth picking up. Um, again, you might not get out of it what you get out of Coffee or Foxy Brown or maybe even Friday Foster, depending on who you are. Friday Foster is also a PG film, I believe. So it's interesting that she was making these kind of PG, uh, kind of black exploitation films, especially if Pam Greer comes from the women in prison world. Seems like her film's kind of cleaned up quite a bit. Um, okay, uh, MVTs. I'm gonna. I had a tough time with this one uh, a little bit because I didn't know really where I wanted to go. I mean, I like Pam Greer in the film a lot, although there are a few moments where she's very awkward. Uh, one point, she gets pinched and she goes, "That hurt." It's very, <laughs> it's very bizarre uh, line reading. Uh, Derville Martin's having a lot of fun too, but I got I kind of got to give it to Greer. I can't give it to Girdler, even though I think the film is totally competent. I think Girdler made better movies than this. Yeah. Uh, and more interesting stuff. Uh, I do think, like I said, this is totally competent. It's uh, it's well made. It's it's entertaining. Uh, and there's certainly worse ways to spend an hour and a half of your time. We, I mean, I've Jesus, just on this show alone, there are definitely ways <laughs> that you can spend an 80, 80 or 90 minutes of your lifetime in, in much worse ways. But... Um, uh, I still got to give it to Greer. I, th- I still think, you know, she's such the glue that holds these kind of movies together, especially when they're her vehicles, that if she isn't on screen a lot, uh, I kind of tune out. So, and even in this case, when she's not on screen, I kind of, you know, my brain kind of tunes out a little bit because she just had, she was not, I would say she was not the greatest actress, uh, but she had that special something that the camera liked. Mm-hmm. And not just her looks. I mean, yeah, she was gorgeous. And yeah, she would take her top off occasionally and things like that and, and all those kind of exploitation things you expect. But even when Pam Greer doesn't do that, she has a certain kind of charisma, a certain kind of look that the camera just loves. And, you know, that that that, that doesn't come along all the time. That That's still a special quality that is unexplainable, I think. You think about all the people that go to Hollywood or all the people that try to break into the movies, and, you know, maybe 1% of those people uh, ever make it in front of the camera. And maybe 1% of that 1%... <laughs> ever get to you know actually lead films and stuff and you and you can't explain sometimes why some actors work and some don't uh, but i always thought that pam greer even though like i said she's totally competent actor and all that stuff i don't think she's you know uh, the greatest i think she got better as time went on i do think by the time she worked with tarantino she was very comfortable in her own skin and uh very much ready to do that that performance i mean essentially jackie brown is essentially a kind of a continuation of these star vehicles she did in the 70s right so yeah uh and the more you see these star vehicles from the 70s the more you realize that when you go back and watch jackie brown even though it's a elmore leonard novel 
you realize that he really totally adapted it and turned it into a, a Pam Greer film because it's definitely that. Even though I think what Tarantino adds that none of the other Pam Greer films add is Tarantino adds interesting characters all around her. Whereas uh, most of these films are just got cardboard cutout characters all around her. But again, I, I'll have yeah. to give it to Greer. Uh, make or break uh, the chase scene into the carnival. I, I really like that whole sequence. It's more than one scene, but it is well done. Uh, the boat stuff is fine as well, but I think that that, that chase scene on foot well into the carnival, onto the uh, kind of mini kind of set up a railroad, uh, roller coaster tracks is probably the best stuff. Um my score for the film six point seven five. I think uh, it's good. I could probably go. I can maybe go six point five. It's good, but it's not for me. It just never quite crosses over into the seven to near eight territory because, like, there's just. I mean, outside of a few moments and me probably pushing this on people to kind of see what Louisville looked like back in the early seventies, there's really not anything else that I could sell this to people on outside of the fact that if you love Pam Greer, you're probably going to love the movie. Right. In some right. way, shape, or form. Uh, so I think that on that in that in that scenario, and if you're a girdler completist, because again, he only made nine films, and some people are completists. So, and his, if you look at his filmography, it's pretty solid from film one to film nine. Uh, I think it's worth it for those two bits and pieces, but I don't know if it's worth it for people outside of that. Um, again, though, the Arrow release is the release to get. I mean, it's it's great. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, my MVT, I mean, like you, there's no way that I can't give it to Greer. Um, I mean, she's, she is the glue and yeah, like you said, when she's on the, uh, when she's not on screen, she really, you know, you tend to tune out and not really, you, well, it's just nobody else is as interesting as her. Even no, well, Durville comes close. Yeah. Durville comes close, but even Austin Stoker, Stoker, I mean, Stoker, yeah. He's just a a piece of, he's a plank. He's a piece of wooden. (laughs) He's a piece of paneling on the wall. (laughs) Yeah, he really is. He might as well have been. Um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, she's, she's really the standout and she's the, the whole reason for, for seeing this movie, uh, entirely. Um, the make or break for me, as much as I wanted to give it to, uh, to anything else i honestly i gotta give it to the opening credit sequence just because you get to watch pam walk for you know a couple of minutes there yeah. do a nice little tune yeah that's the pam greer that's the pam greer entrance we see that quite often in our films. exactly exactly and you know it's it's it, it kind of reinforces that whole thing that if she weren't in this movie then it uh, it wouldn't be worth seeing i don't think yeah um and with that in mind then i'm lower than you on this i'm at around six point or uh six out of ten okay uh, okay because I don't, I mean, like I said, that outside of outside of being uh, a Greer or Girdler completist, or like you said, you know, checking out the, you know, the Louisville at, the, at that time, at that point in time, mm-hmm. there's really not uh, not anything else all that attractive about the movies for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty boilerplate uh, action uh, black exploitation. Yeah, there. pretty A to B. Uh, yeah, yeah, it really is. It's it's um, and and in that regard, I mean, like I said, it, it does it well enough. But it just it doesn't do well enough to, to raise the bar uh, for me beyond uh, beyond about a six. So yeah, that's totally, I was, I was, totally fine. I was, when I first wrote it down, I was around, I was around like six point five. But as I thought about it more and more, I was like, eh, okay. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I got a downgrade. Yeah, so, it's totally yeah, no, the, totally the, fair. But the arrow is uh, is a really nice release on it. I yeah. give them credit for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, taking the time to put as much effort into this thing as they did. So yes, Good. indeed. Indeed. Uh, okay, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little Mutilator, a.k.a. Fall Break. Uh, great tagline on the cover of the box. By sword, by pick, by axe, bye-bye.
Escaping mine, forgetting about classes, leaving books behind. Time to get away. Empty cottage sitting on the shore. Tourists all left about a month before, and we're gonna have a good time. Gonna have a good time. Yeah, we're gonna have a good time. We're going on now. A ball break, ball walking break. hand in hand in the moonlight. The we'll be the sweet soul there, I swear. Going on a ball break, running in the sand, feeling alright. And when you fall into my arms, I'll break into your heart. I can hardly wait to head for the dunes, spread down the blanket, humming sweet love tunes from yesteryear. Not a soul in sight, girl, heaven bless. Of the best and will disappear. And later on, maybe a who knows, take swimming a surf and all birthday clothes, and we're gonna have a good time. Hey, we're gonna have a good time. We're going on a ball break, walking hand in hand in the moonlight. We'll be the sweet soul air, I swear. Going on a, a ball break, running in the sand, feeling alright. All and when you fall into my arms, I'll break into your heart. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are back with our review of the Mutilator from 1984. This is an interesting release from Arrow. This kind of gets into some of the stuff they released that I find interesting because uh, uh, this is a probably little little scene slasher. I maybe remember the box art from the VHS days. Probably not, though, because I probably, like I said, I probably confused it with three on a meat hook. I got to say, if I saw this when I was younger, I don't remember it. I would have remembered it because I would have remembered that theme song. Yeah. And 
I'm not sure. This is one of those ones where I'm not sure if I saw it or not. Um, I feel like some parts of it I may have, but it might just be the familiarity of the genre. But I don't. Uh, nothing really stands out to me. So anyway, let's uh, let's get into this. Uh, you're going to lead on this one. I'll, I'll synopsize here. Uh, 1984, The Mutilator, directed by Buddy Cooper. Says John Douglas as well, but mostly it's a Buddy Cooper joint. I think he only did the one thing. Uh, Bloody Buddy Cooper. Yeah, Bloody Buddy Cooper. I think he only did the one thing. There's a nice little documentary on here. I did watch some of that. Uh, there's some commentary. Let me go over some of the dispecs. There's some commentary tracks. Uh, Buddy Cooper and uh, Ruth Martinez Tudoro is on here. And there's also one with Cooper Farrell and uh, co-director John Douglas, star Matt Mitt- Mittler. Uh, it's always interesting to see these kind of uh, one and done actors come back and do uh, interviews because they kind of just look like the older version of themselves from the uh, <laughs> from the uh, film. Uh, the lead, especially, he he certainly looks like uh, like just the aged version of uh, the character he played. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like I said, uh, the story behind the mutilator. It's called Fall Breakers. A little documentary action on here. Tunes for the Dunes. They got to talk about the Mutilator's unique score and uh, some of the theme song, which we'll play a little bit of that here as we go. If you didn't hear it in the intro, which I'm going to try to get it into the uh, the break here, but we're not uh, recording with the breaks live, so hopefully you heard that as we came in. Uh, but yeah, nice little set, uh, nice slipcase, uh, pretty disc to say the least, and uh, mileage may vary on this one. Uh, certainly, if you're a slasher completist, I think you got to own this. Yeah. Um, other than that, we'll see. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. But uh, basic plot synopsis, a teenager who accidentally committed suicide. Uh, suicide. <laughs> yeah. A teenager who accidentally committed matricide. Uh, man, it's tough when you kill mattresses. Uh, <laughs> finds himself being hunted together with his girlfriend and mates. Not his friends, his mates. By his now crazed father. This is not the greatest synopsis ever. No, it's not. It's one of those slashers, too, where I talk about this sometimes with the slasher genre. Sometimes there's a Tin Little Indians aspect of the slasher, which is we don't know who the killer is. Mm-hmm. And then, then there's the, the flip side of that, which we know who the killer is all along. And yeah. we're kind of, you know, watching these characters trying to kind of figure it out. So this is definitely the latter. We talked about this when we, Will and I talked about this when we talked about Blood Rage, uh, which is another release that Arrow did. But, uh, or even, you could even argue that some films like even Madman or even Friday the 13th in some ways, those are not really Tin Little Indians so much because you know who the killer is. Well, you could not the first Friday the 13th so much, but certainly two through the rest. I mean, you know who these slasher quote unquote characters are. Um, but so you don't get the standard, uh, Tin Little Indian type thing, type thing. But, uh, again, that's kind of what makes the genre fun. The kind of what makes the genre fun, I think for me is that you are basically, uh, in the shoes of the killer most of the time, whereas with, like, Giallo's, for instance, it's more of the mystery of it and the style. With Slashers, it seems to be more of the the effects and the kind of uh, living vicariously through the eyes of a killer type deal. So, sure. Sure. so let's, get in, let's get into it a little bit. What would you, you, you think about the mutilator? Uh, as Tony Curtis would say, what would you think about the mutilator? I love the mutilator. No, I didn't. But uh, um, I'll say this about that. Uh, what you were saying... I do remember this from the VHS days. Okay. Uh, and like you said, I also got it confused a bit with the Three on the Meat Hook, although this is one of those movies that back in the VHS days, I actually had rented for a, a party that I had. One of oh, the okay. That I had when I was a, a, young, a youngster. Um, so, yeah, this, this would, yeah, be, a, this would be a good party movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, um, I, I remember really enjoying it uh, as, a, as a kid. Uh, not that it was, you know, anything 
to write home about or anything like that, but that it was solid enough uh, for for that time for my my head in in the space that I was at at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, does it hold up? Eh, not so much for me, but it, I think it's still got certain things that do recommend it. Uh, I I like the uh, I thought the uh, the opening is actually pretty effective um, as far as uh, the the setup for what's what's to come down the road. Although you know Big Ed does go insane pretty quickly. I mean he hits the the cliff pretty hard, uh, and, and instant, it's like instant insanity. Um, yeah, Big Ed was wound tight, man. He was it was only a matter oh, of time before fuck. Big Ed was going to go off the edge. Yeah. And he, man, when he goes, he goes fucking hard and fast because, yeah, you know, he does giving his wife something to drink and all that <laughs> shit. Um, yeah. It, it, one of the things that I, I like to, is that the, in the opening with the, when we finally get to the, uh, the victims, uh, they're sitting in a bar that has, uh, like a residential refrigerator and a kitchen table in it. Yes. And I've been in bars like that. So, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a certain appeal to that for, for me. Yeah. yeah I grew up uh, in bars like that. My dad was, oh, yeah. uh, my dad was a notorious drinker and, uh, and uh yeah there was more than enough uh quote unquote bars which was <laughs> somebody's <laughs> kitchen yeah somebody's uh, kitchen or the the back room of a liquor store that looked yep. like uh that looked exactly like that one of the things i liked about this movie was too is that uh this is before marketing right this is before so you got you know your budweisers and your uh, there's a lot of natty light going on through here oh my god yeah <laughs> That stuff's the worst <laughs> I, know, uh, I know people who live and die by it i swear <laughs> man uh, just like they do with like old Milwaukee or, you know, some people just, they, they love, they love their cheap beer and you, you'll never get them away from their cheap beer. Now look, I, I'm not one to judge, uh, when I want to drink a beer, I'll drink about just anything, but I'm not going to go to the store and buy some Natty Light. No. I'm not, not first yeah, I'm not going to the store to buy Milwaukee's, but now when I was a kid and I was drinking and I wasn't supposed to, sure. I only had like five bucks. Yep. So Natty Light. You know, old Milwaukee, Milwaukee's best, Schlitz. Genuine draft. Oh, yeah. there you go. Any of those ones, the cheaper the beer, the better, because I got more beer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I make a pretty decent living now. I'm not going to, you know, I'll go with my standard cheapies, which is like, you know, your Bud Light, your you know, your Miller Light, or your. <laughs> I'll yeah. go with those. I won't go with uh, Natty Light. That's not where I'm going. No. Uh, now, I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm sure there's probably some people listening to this that love the Natty Light. So, hey. More power to you. Sure, drink what you want to drink. I mean, enjoy it. Yeah, I just, absolutely. I, I like to not shit the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning after drinking. <laughs> I mean, and then and then all day through. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I do enjoy actually, you know, the, the first the first BM of the day. It's a uh, quite a pleasant experience usually, but uh, little thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite part of the natural uh, thing, <laughs> natural <laughs> movement of things, but. Uh, Sometimes being a, being accelerated by the natty light is not exactly what I want to go through. Accelerated is a good uh, <laughs> yeah. good verb for that one. Yes. Because <laughs> it comes out like uh, shit through a tin horn. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that uh, Ed Jr. grew up pretty well adjusted, all things considered. Yeah, he loves uh, cleaning. He's, first meet him, he's, he's just, you know, rollicking and having a good old time with his friends. And you, you don't really get that sense that, that uh, what happened in the past has really stuck with him over much. You know what? It's funny watching these two movies together for the show. Do you think the same person that made the "Hey Dad, I clean the guns for you" sign made the chlorine sign and Sheba Baby? I think it's a very good possibility that the, the <laughs> same uh, set design, the set decorator, was the uh, same person. Yeah. I love, I love the handmade signs, man. That is a lost art in movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You gotta love that shit, man. I know it's great. Um, and then as uh, as Ed's going along with the with all of his buddies, um. 
and they said they finally you know put forth the idea hey let's go to the the beach house and close it up for the old man who who calls to uh it should be said the the ed senior big ed calls ed jr at the bar which how he knew he was at the bar who knows but uh he calls him to see if he can go he can go and uh close up their beach house for the uh, the winter and when everybody finds out that uh, that ed's got a beach house then they all want to go there to, to quote unquote help him close it up sure uh, aka party hardy yes um but uh, and then of course you know ed delivers that classic line i've got a bad feeling about this <laughs> but he, he just, it's like that waka 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 yeah, yeah. Kind of, oh, <laughs> I, I, my actual uh note after that was oof yeah because uh, it's just it's one of those things and that's it that was really the first indication to me that this is an oddball. It's an oddball film. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a standout in the. Well, I mean, some of the best, not the best, I should say, but some of the most fun slashers are always those ones that, you know, two or three dudes got together and said, "Hey, let's 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 knock off a cheapy uh, slasher pick, make a make a little coin." Yeah, and uh, we can do this. I mean, hell, Sean Cunningham did this. He's he's you know millionaire. So and so did this. Uh, you know, he made a bunch of money. We can do this. This is easy. You just put a bunch of kids together. You get a little tits and ass. You get a little, you know, some blood. Mm-hmm. You know, you can probably turn it. Pro- I don't know if this made any money, um, but it may have made the investors. You know, I'm sure they they may have made their money back. I would imagine they did. Yeah, because I mean, this is pretty cheap. I mean, this is one location essentially. Yeah. Uh, pretty simple, pretty basic uh, slasher film shot in Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. This beach looks cold. Oh yeah, it looks uh, it looks not pleasant. It looks it's not like the beach you if you if you have aspirations to go to the beach this uh, mm-hmm. summer. This is not the beach you want to go to, probably. Well, but it would be great if you were going on a. <laughs> it's right, uh, and then just speaking to that, let's uh, let's play a little bit. In case I had to go get this on there, let's. Here we go. This is this is right after he says, "I got a bad feeling about Dash." <laughs> it's it almost feels like. The thing about the song is it almost got that that cheers vibe. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, we got we got to get a little bit to the the happy days type feel here. Empty cottage on the shore. Tourists all left about a month before and we're going to have a good time. Going to have a good time. Going to have a good time. Here we go. We're going on now. Yeah. You know, it's almost like something that Shana Na would have done if they yeah. were in film. It feels like a mix of like Shana Na and what would have happened to Billy Joel if he never got a record deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you know, it, it, it feels almost like a Billy Joel type song, like a like a lesser Billy Joel, you know. So. Yes. But yes. well, very much lesser Billy Joel, but it's a fun song. And I'm not gonna lie to you. I mean, I uh, there's something about the song that I enjoy. I think it's because it's just so kind of cheesy and fun, but at the same time, the and we talked about this, and I kind of talked about it on Facebook. Too, it has no place, no, in the movie whatsoever. It is totally. Well, I mean, maybe it does in a way, but I mean, to me, it just. I don't know. I don't even feel like when they're driving in the convertible that it feels like it. It's the song belongs for some reason for me. Well, that's that's the thing is that you know the the tone of, of the film is really you know it, it's not a hundred percent sure I don't think whether it wants to be like a teen sex comedy or a teen slasher film, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's where stuff like the 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 song and that line delivery, and then later on when we get the undercrank 
uh, shot of uh, the. So, do I, I hear some dogs whining in the background? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> come on, knock it off. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, As a dog but, lover, and some of our listeners are dog lovers, you know what it's like to have that dog that whines when you're constantly um, talking or doing anything. He cries about everything too. <laughs> He's big and intimidating, but you know he licked yeah. you to death. Yeah, like all that, like all big dogs, they're the biggest babies. Yeah, uh, and he's just he's trying to get his his hump on right now. So, um, <laughs> poor guy. But uh, but yeah, no, that's the thing. That's the thing about the the film is that it, you know it really feels tonally like it, it doesn't one hundred percent know whether it wants to commit to one side or the other. Like it wants to be fun, but at the same time, it wants to be gruesome. Yeah, um, and it, that's that's the thing is, is you know it, it I think that it, it's. I don't know whether it's trying to walk the line or whether it just couldn't decide whether it wanted to walk the line. I think but, that the problem is is that it doesn't know how to walk the line. I think that it wants I think to. That, that could be part of it, yeah. yeah. I think that Buddy Cooper, Bloody Buddy Cooper here, I think he knew that teen sex comedies in 84, 83 made a little bit of coin. Slashers made a little bit of coin. You try to mix the two together and find that even keel. Unfortunately, they couldn't. Uh, although it, this does have one of the funniest lines of any slasher ever, in my opinion, and that's when Ed Jr. says, that's strange. My dad's <laughs> battle axe is missing. <laughs> that's not a line you expect to hear in a slasher. I mean, that's more like, <laughs> that's more like, you know, like in a Conan film or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got a kick out of the fact that uh, Ralphie boy goes in and only buys 12 beers for six people. Which I mean, come on. Yeah, you know, back, back in my heyday, come on, twelve beers was me alone. Yeah, and that I was a starter. That's always crazy to me when I see people buy beer in these old movies and stuff, and they always buy. You know, you might be lucky if you see them buy two six packs. I mean, usually yeah. they buy like a six pack, and you got twenty five people at the camp, yep. and somebody comes out with a six pack of Fall City, and it's like, dude, <laughs> you know, are you gonna buy any beer for anybody else? Yeah, right. You know, I mean, I, I maybe maybe you're just a six pack kind of guy. I mean, usually when I go somewhere and hang out with folks, I'm a six to twelve kind of guy. You know, I'll buy a case, maybe, you know, maybe a 12-pack, sure. But I'm, you know, I'm typically not – I'm not young anymore. I'm not bringing 24 to the party. You know, I'm not – unless other folks want some of what I got. And then uh, – which is a little bit of uh, charisma and steamy, steamy semen. No, uh, anyway. I don't know. Ooh, that was disgusting, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a little. Uh, that was – ooh, man, that was, <laughs> that was as bad as the lyrics to Fall Break. <laughs> <laughs> Either way uh, – yeah, I mean, you can't buy 12 beers for, well, they got Come six on. people? Yeah, that's two, yeah. two beers a piece. Come on. It's a t- you're not even going to begin to get buzzed on that. It's a certain, it's a big continuity flaw, too, because uh, they easily drink more than two beers a piece. Yeah. No, that's just, uh, come on, man. This does you're have some, better than that, buddy. I got the great lines. You talk about the bad feeling about this, and I talk about the battle likes. They got a couple more on IMDb uh, that uh, are pretty great. Uh, one where Ralphie says, uh, so my philosophy is, let's have some beer. <laughs> that, that's a great line, and there's another one on IMDb that says that wasn't so bad. The Mike burps, and he goes, "That was." So, Ed, Ed Junior. So it's there are some fun lines. They're delivered pretty silly. Yeah, that, that's the thing is everybody's kind of like mugging to the camera and kind of you know waka waka waka. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's like I got a great I got a great joke line here. It almost feels like they went to Buddy Cooper, Bloody Buddy. We got to say that because that's what he calls himself, or oh, yeah. that's what the producer calls him. They went to him and said, hey, man, in this moment right here, what I need to say is, I got a bad feeling about this. And he's oh, like, oh, that's that. You know what? That'll work. That'll work. That'll make us a million bucks right there. The kids are going to love it. <laughs> uh, the kids will eat this shit up. Um, they will. The, 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 trust me. There is a, there's an there's a age group of me, you, and a bunch of others 
that will eat up that battle axe line because that absolutely. is <laughs> that's <classic>. absolutely uh, <laughs> it even has the kind of like molded the kind of like dirty shadow of the battle axe where it's supposed to be <laughs> guy never cleans his walls so it's, it's got the the kind of dirt uh, and you know kind of dirt outline of the battle axe pretty great that the battle axe itself is, i i know i'm bringing it up quite a bit but it's funny because it looks like it's made out of aluminum foil it looks like something like the thor the heavy metal singer would carry around oh yeah 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 um what else what do you got here 12 beers uh i've never tied a sweatshirt around my neck i know you see a lot of sweaters tied around necks never mm-hmm. seen a sweatshirt tied around my no. neck until uh ed jr did it no ed jr uh, you know what i gotta say man he has like a david hess david naughton kind of quality to him yeah all you know the five other folks that hang out with ed jr that they can't figure out that ed jr is a little off yeah i mean because you as a viewer can pretty much tell right away that Ed Jr.'s had some difficulties. Uh, I got to say, they managed to carry that through. I mean, because when he's describing his dad's hunting trips and all that stuff, I would say that I would be a little uncomfortable too, especially his uh, the story of the uh, the throwing the thing into the uh, the wall type deal and yeah. the frame and the way he, <laughs> you know he kind of laughs and ooh, Ed Jr. has some psychological issues. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, yeah. I, did, I I honestly didn't really get that out of him. I just yeah. thought that he was kind of like a goofy because going back because it it all, it all starts with that line at the beginning, right? I mean that just sets the tone for the character for me. Mm-hmm. And from then on out, his whole thing is kind of like you know, giggle kind of oh look boobies kind of thing. Um, that you know just didn't. I never really got the the idea that the I mean I, you he tells you about how screwed up his childhood was, mm-hmm. but uh, I never really thought that it was you know anything outside of just being a, a dipshitty kind of teenage boy uh, thing with him. Mm. You know, the same kind of thing that, you know, if I was with my friends and we were throwing uh, those pyramid anchors, or what are, what are they? Are they fish weights? Yes, yes, pyramid uh, fish yeah, weights. Throwing yes. those into the in the wall. I mean, I'd probably sit there chuckling if I was his age, too. Yeah. Um, they find it interesting but, that Dad decided to put a frame around it. That's very bizarre. Yeah, well, that, that, yeah that, that's a little <laughs> bit off. Well, here's the other one that I, that, uh, that I real this one really kind of mm-hmm took me aback uh was the frame photo of the guy that you accidentally ran over with your boat <laughs> what the fuck was that it's like the guy's laying there there's these giant gashes in his torso and he's just kind of like yeah i must yeah. guy in my head right over with the boat and i'm yeah. like what the fuck what that's like why ta- would you take a picture of it a b <laughs> why would you frame it and keep it yeah that's where your friends go time out time out ed jr <laughs> something's dad dad has issues ed ah <laughs> oh. It's very yeah, that's that's kind of the tip, the tip <laughs> off there. Um, <laughs> I forgot about. I didn't write that note down. I forgot about the framed photo of the boat victim. <laughs> it just, it, man. How did I that skip was, that note? I don't even know how I skipped that. I was so concerned about the battle axe. I got about five notes on the battle axe. Well, I think you were more concerned about maybe cleaning the wall behind the battle. Yeah, axe. I think it's the metal. The metal fan in me is always worried about the battle axe <laughs> situation in any film. You know. Well, you know, at the Big Ed sleeps with the battle axe yes. down in the garage there. Yeah, I like and, that he keeps uh, it with him. He's having sweet dreams of killing his kid. <laughs> so um, sorry. Yeah, man. Uh, I thought that the uh, – oh, uh, one thing that I should mention, that the the first uh, – the one chick um, – actually, the cutest chick in the movie, I think, uh, was played by Frances Raines, uh, who was actually the niece of Claude Raines, it turns out. Oh, really? Fun fact there, um, fun fact. but yeah, she's the she's the one who goes swimming with the with the guy who looks like the <laughs> the jerk character from Real Genius. 
the <laughs> guy. He has he has he has another great line too, where he talks about that she talks about the place smelling like chlorine. He's like, yeah, it's good for the herpes. <laughs> and she's like, is that something I need to worry about? I'd be like, well, as soon as he said that, I think you do. <laughs> Gonna be wrapping that rascal, buddy. Yeah. yeah, that's a weird winterized pool situation. It almost feels like they're uh, like bombing it for fleas or something. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't I don't know a whole lot about pools, and I don't know how a lot about public pools. That's a big pool, so maybe you do have to put a gigantic tent around it to winterize it. I don't know. Uh, I couldn't tell you. But, yeah, I, uh, I couldn't. I mean, I'm, I'm not an avid swimmer. I don't really know anything about it. But it does lead to it does lead to one of the best set pieces in the film. I say that. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the most uh, effective uh, kills in the whole movie. Yeah, it's well lit. The scene's well done. Uh, the, the, the only thing, the only thing is that the they use slow motion in that uh, scene, and it was just a little too slow. Yeah. For me, I, I just thought that it, you know, if it had been a little bit faster it would have been more effective but it's just almost like frame by frame kind of well you bring up an interesting point because i think that bloody buddy cooper this is his own one and only film mm-hmm. i think that he didn't you know i think he had his hands on some technology so i thought he thought you know this whole mode will cool here because at another point he decides to go keystone cop well that's yeah that's the thing i was talking about earlier with ralphie yeah you know, so it's very it bizarre whole, it's like he had the these, scene. yeah it's like he had these tricks at his disposal so he's like you know i've always wanted to make a you know, a Buster Keaton film, or I've always wanted to make a, yeah. you know, a Sam Peckinpah film. <laughs> well, but the thing is, you don't make them all at the same time. <laughs> well, right? buddy, I mean, Bloody Buddy was going to get his money's worth, man. He's like, uh, look, I'm probably not going to get to make another film. This is going to be the one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 undercranking to me is always, it screams out Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Always has, always yeah. will. It, 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 I, I can think of a few films where it has its place, but it, those films typically have that as part of their... Um, as part of their kind of yeah, as part of their general kind of paradigm, you know, the part of their general way of thinking, you're going to see it more than once. The fact right. that the undercranking comes in here is so out of place, so bizarre. I could just hear uh, our natural our natural partner, I should say, our <laughs> our regular partner on here, Will. I could just hear him groaning uh, oh, yeah. behind this because I know that's the kind of thing to him that just. It's like, ugh, you know, what are you doing? And I had that. I even had that moment. I was like, I laughed, but at the same time, I was like, ooh, bloody buddy, what are you yeah. doing, buddy? <laughs> yeah, no, it really, it really is, you know, sore thumbitis uh, when you have stuff like that, <laughs> yeah. and it, it really it distinguishes itself for being just way out of place. Yes, um, indeed, not never in a good way. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, for the first kill, I really did enjoy. Uh, it was, you know, it really works for mm-hmm. what it needs to be and set mm-hmm. it up. Um, Mikey, uh, wait, oh yeah, the blonde guy. Uh, he he talks his way through all of the jump scares that are coming to him. He's like, oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I was scared for a second. He's, he's just everything has to have a comment to it. Yeah. Like we can't just let the scene go. Yeah. With uh, with you know <laughs> just the silence and the building up, you know, getting some tension going. I kind of liked his. Uh... I have to keep sticking pins in the in the balloon as it were and i think that you know in part because i know that in the documentary they they said how a lot of the stuff that they did was uh, there was actually a lot of improv going on so you kind of got to wonder if that was it was that it was kind of like that you know young actor syndrome where you know i need to fill up every inch of space with me talking because yeah. i can't just let this go and, and let the scene be the scene i kind of liked his uh he said he had a genuine uh, kind of southern accent that actor, he, he wasn't a great actor, but I kind of liked when he would talk and stuff that he could tell he was, I don't know if he was cast out of North Carolina where they shot this or not, but he definitely had a, 
a kind of a genuine, not over, not overtly southern, but it definitely you could hear that southern kind of accent in the yeah. background of his of his talking. I, what I don't, what was his name? What was his was he uh, he was was he was he wasn't Ralph? Was he Ralph? Was the no, he was, was Mike? Okay, he was Mike. Mike. Maury Lampley was uh, Mike. <laughs> Maury Lampley. What a what a. That's a good one. Yeah, what an unfortunate name that is. But uh, this is like most people in this film, outside of like Francis Reigns, I think that most people in this film, this might be their one and done. This might be the only thing they did. Uh, I think by and large it is, except for, I think, Jack Chatham? Yeah, he did. Did he do more? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did a rock and road trip. Okay. And he did Eddie, the Whoopi Goldberg basketball movie. Oh Jesus! Ooh, what is what is Rock and Road Trip, and why have I not seen it? <laughs> I don't know, but I got. I'm looking at the the cover art here. Yeah, no, so am I. Martin meets Samantha, the sister of Nicole, who is the leader of a band called Cherry Suicide. While Martin and Samantha are beginning a relationship, Nicole is trying to get away from her, and I got to click on it to see the rest. I don't know. I gotta I gotta check this out. This looks like it could be absolutely terrible. They look like they could be going on. A- <laughs> yeah, they're going on something. <laughs> oh man a rock and yeah. roll trip yeah <laughs> go on <with> it on <laughs> yeah not uh not a uh ooh not a name of one of the actors in rock and roll trip sally nussbomber nice you gotta love these names but yeah no i maury lampley you know again not not a he's very much chiseled from stone very square jawed yeah. very skinny uh, not a great actor, but he does. Like I have, said, he reminded me of Kent from uh, Real Genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does remind you of that actor. That actor I like quite a bit, though, because he always kind of played a smug twerp. Or yeah. <laughs> he's in the the Joy of Sex. He's one of the great kind of uh, bully characters. Where he that was the first time I learned of uh, Blue Flamers, the guys that lit their farts on fire. You know, <laughs> he has a great scene in that movie. That guy, that actor from Real Genius, where he lights his ass on fire. I think in the, in a drive-in. Uh, nice. Well, I'm kind of surprised they didn't light any farts in this movie. Yeah, this felt like a light and fart movie. This this film. Yeah, like, yeah. If you ain't if not if if they're not doing it on screen, you're probably doing it at home. Yeah, right? yeah. This feels like a you know, there's there's few films you can say that about, but there definitely is some a, a time period between like '79 and '85. Yeah. Where there's a whole genre of films that you could classify as a lighting fart type film. <laughs> yeah. As, uh, I can say that we proudly coined that on the GGTMC now. Yes. The fart lighting genre. <laughs> <laughs> that fart lighting ambiance. Yeah, and the, the, um, the more blue flame you get, the stronger the uh, the uh, you know methane, methane the methane coming out of there. So it's definitely a strong meat diet. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> if it ain't the coma, it's the farts. Yeah, the meat and uh, the meat and natty light will definitely get you a strong blue flame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they call the, me uh, Sammy the Bunsen burner. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, the uh, the killer in this, I mean, it's it's really no no uh, mystery whatsoever. It's Ed, it's a uh, big Ed. It's Ed's dad. Yes. Uh, and you know, I'm watching the film, and I'm thinking to myself, if you're gonna do a slasher, you know, normally you have somebody who's who's got like a personality, whether it's amped up or not. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there's something there to to go on. This guy is just you know, no personality whatsoever. Um. No, he's he's definitely he's had a psychotic break. He's uh, well, he has, but he's just, he's just blank. Yeah, to the point of yeah, to the point of like his psychotic break doesn't like match what he's doing. Like it's right. like he should just be comatose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, he he I I'm pretty sure he doesn't speak a line the entire movie. 
Uh, I don't think he says one word. No, you're right. I don't think he does. I don't even think he says anything in the uh, the uh, no. beginning of the prologue. Sure not, the not anything, no. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he's just, and he he looks kind of like a cross between uh, David Jansen from uh, The Fugitive and the uh, the Bear Man from the 1977 Island of Doctor Moreau. He's kind of got that look to him. Nice, nice, nice pull um, there. Yeah, that's uh, that's not where I thought we'd go this morning, but yeah, all right. <laughs> You've done that, and you dropped a two days in the valley on me today. So yeah, you've you've gotten the old film brain kind of churning today. <laughs> oh, buddy, I'm so not on my game today. It's not even funny. Uh, but thank you. Um, but yeah, no, that's what, that's what he reminded me of. Um, but he's just yeah, there's he, just nothing going on. He's all he is is a guy who who swings an axe and and kills people. <laughs> like period. I mean, that's all there is to him. Well, not just an axe; it's a battle axe. Let's not forget. That's true. It is a battle axe. <laughs> um, I, I I was wondering why he couldn't attack if the lights were on. Yeah, like they're they're doing that little. Then that's another thing. This is the kind of movie where you can sit there and watch these these clowns um, play an entire game of blind man's bluff, <laughs> and you're just like okay. And then you get to the point where the killer's starting to show up, and then they turn on the lights, and like all of a sudden, oh, I can't go in there now. Did you ever play? Did you ever play blind man's bluff as a young teenager slash? Uh, uh, I did not know. I can say that I did. Um, essentially, Blind Man's Bluff, for those who don't know, who David it's essentially Marco Polo, maybe yeah. outside of the water without you saying Marco and Polo. Uh, essentially what it is, it's a great game for copping a feel. Uh, matter of fact, one of the female characters in here mentions that, that she doesn't want to play a game where you turn the lights off so she can just get groped. Um, but if you're a young teenager, these guys are a little older to actually be playing this game. The Ralphie character is a total pervert. Like he wants to have sex with not only his girlfriend but his buddy's girlfriend too. Yep. Uh, uh, very strange character, almost almost unlikable to some some degree. Yeah, uh, and plus he's got a sizzle chest. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's a bad deal all the way around. But he, he, I think he's the one that brings it up. And essentially, Blind Man's Bluff, like I said, it's essentially a way to kind of reach around in the dark. And if you, especially if you know where somebody is, or you can kind of see them, it's a great way to grab a tit, or you know, grab a package, uh, you know, whatever your whatever your choice, you know. Sure. It's also a great way to uh, make your friends terribly uncomfortable. If your best buddy growing up, all of a sudden you realize that your best buddy growing up is hung like Tom Holmes or Tom Holmes. <laughs> I don't even know who Tom Holmes is, but he was the lesser known cousin of John Holmes, who was even more hung than uh, Johnny. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, it's also a way to, uh, you know, let's let's put it this way. If you're a male, you want to stay high. Yeah. If, if you're a female, you want to stay low. If if, you're, if, you're, if that makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> if you want to have some fun, though, you want to do the two-hand blind man bluff. You want to go in. You want to go in because uh, you can make your buddies uh, very uncomfortable <laughs> or yep. you can make uh, yourself very happy if you're a total misogynistic pervert and you want to get a handful of... Uh, Everything. Uh, everything. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's Blind Man's Bluff in a nutshell. It's not a it's not a game so much as it's manhunt looking to grab a tit is what it yeah. is, really. So, very immature, very stupid game. The funny thing is, the way they play the game in this, I mean, obviously it's sad because it's cinema and they got to do almost day for night. So, obviously you can see everybody and you know they can see each other, too. And it, they, they have to act like they can't see each other, which is kind of right. funny. It sets it up to be a really interesting aspect, like, you know, with the killer walking around in the Blinds Man Bluff situation. But I don't think Bloody Buddy Cooper... He didn't really take advantage of it. No, he doesn't. It doesn't pay off for him the way it should. No, 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 it doesn't. Um, 
probably the greatest example of Blind Man's Bluff is not even called out. That might be Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs. That's probably the greatest example of Blind Man's Bluff. Uh, yeah, yeah. With the night yeah, vision the and everything else. There, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's 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 a great example of how terrifying that could be. Yes, absolutely, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a little Jason-esque motif on the soundtrack whenever uh, Ed, uh, I keep calling him Ed, uh, well, Big, Big Ed. Yeah, Big Ed, yeah. Uh, is, uh, is around. It's kind of like... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're not they're a little, not, little sting on the soundtrack. Yeah, now. they're not uh, they're not holding back on what they're ripping off here. Nope. Um, I really like the shot. There's the the one shot where the killer pulls the gaff off of the the stuffed fish in the living room, <laughs> and as he's as he's you know pulling it away, the the camera's following it, and the the gaff sort of frames the fish's eye for like a second there. Yeah. And I you know I just really thought that was a nice little touch. It's one of those kind of maybe it was a happy accident, maybe it was just you know right. maybe it was planned that way, but. It just uh, was really effective, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, let's see. Do, 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 do. Oh, uh, do you remember back when you could flood a car engine? Because that... Uh, I, boy, do I ever. I actually... That comes up here. My first car was a 77 Chevy Nova. And boy, you could flood that straight six quicker and... I don't know, <laughs> shit through a goose, man. Woo! Well, I had a, I had a, a 64 uh, automobile... Uh, which they, my friends, all called the Lima Bean Green Machine, <laughs> no, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was it was one of those ones where you had to. It was one of those the ones where you, it was like to start it, you you turn the key, hit the gas pedal three times, oh, yeah. turn the key back, and then when you then <laughs> just put the gas all the way to the floor and turn it on. Yeah, you, know, you get you, that, that, that was one of the keys. You had to get that gas pedal all the way to the floor after the pump. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people didn't know that they'd pump and then they try to start it and then you get that stall. Oh, you get like that half start and install and like you're fucked. You're flooded. Yep. Now you're fucking sitting there forever. Yeah. You can put it to the floor and it'll try, but now you're going to run that battery down. You're fucked. You're going to have to wait yep. a little while. Yep. Uh, but of course that plays in here, which we also got this set up earlier on when, uh, when Ed Jr. is trying to start the car and it's, you know, it's, yeah, there's been a lot of advances in car starting technology. You really can't get away with a non-starting car in slasher. That's the thing. I mean, people would lose their minds. I mean, especially consumers, you know, if you had to do that kind of shit to start a car now, Oh, you yeah. know, like that, or to like you know, go out and crank it up like a Model yeah. A or something. Yeah, I got a newer car now. I got a button. I, I sit in my car. I press. I put my foot on the brake. I press a button. The thing starts up. Like you know, I mean, I'm, I'm so spoiled. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people would yeah, people would lose their fucking minds if they had to start cars like they had to back then. <laughs> I know. Um, and then of course at the at the end you have the, a nice partial blooper reel, shades of Cannibal Run uh, <laughs> over the credits, which was nice. Uh, but but again, it's one of those things where it's just totally you know they're telling you hey we were having a good time we hope you had a good time yeah but it's just it's one of those things that just stands out as being just what the fuck is this doing yeah. well they went on a ball break the uh yeah it doesn't it doesn't fit but again it's one of those things where i think you're like you said i think a bloody buddy i think he was gonna you know i think all the movies he liked i think he was trying to kind of riff on all of them so he probably liked cannibal run he probably thought sure. This Cannibal Run was like what eighty one, eighty three, somewhere around. There? Uh, it was it was early eighties at, at the yeah. most. Well, I mean, any of those. Uh, but then you go back. To, I think Smoking the Bandit has a blooper reel. I think all those. Yeah. Burt films from the late seventies. The Hal the, Needhams. Yeah, all the Needhams. They they really enjoy. I mean, you can say what you want to say about the quality of those films, but what you can't say is that they didn't have a good time making those movies. I love those movies. Yeah, I do too. Because there's a genuine glee to the making of them. Like they're not. Certainly, they're not the they're not Citizen Kane, nor are they you know any of those type of movies. But when you see those blooper reels, you know that uh, Bert was just hanging out with his friends, and they were just shooting a movie and you know smacking Dom DeLuise every time they got a chance. 
every time he's flubbed the line. Yeah. I can remember being a kid thinking there can't be anybody more fun to hang around with than Dom DeLuise because he laughs at everything. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like uh, Barry there. Just... <laughs> yeah. So is that all your notes pretty much? Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Kick it oh. over to you. There it goes, the dog. Yeah, yeah. I don't really have a whole lot more to add. Um, the, the, like I said, I think the, there's, an again, like a lot of these slashers from the early 80s, there's an innocence to it. Uh, this one obviously does feel like a cash-in because, like, Madman and some of the other ones from the early 80s and, and mid-80s, uh, obviously they're kind of jumping on the, the bandwagon of what's making money. And uh, that's fine. I mean, obviously every genre gets exploited to the end, uh, as it should be. I mean, if you're in a business, you want to make money. So if something's making money, you definitely want to, you know, that's the whole Roger Corman uh, way of thinking. I mean, if something's making money, why, why, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, it's, it's, uh, there's no point. I mean, it's just, you know, the slashers were making money in the early 80s. Uh, this is yeah. certainly a drive-in type film. I mean, this is the kind of stuff, I didn't see this at the drive-in, but this is the kind of stuff I would have seen at the drive-in. Uh, growing up, uh, it was part of like a triple bill of horror films or something, you know, the mutilator three on a meat hook and Texas chainsaw massacre this weekend, South park drive in. Uh, that was the drive in I went to all the time when I was a kid, it's not there anymore. Um, but this there certainly would have been on play there and on play quite often. Cause it would have been a crowd pleaser. I mean, the one thing we've kind of didn't talk about really, uh, at least on your end that I can really kind of get into the effects are pretty good. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, they are. They're pretty competent. I, really, they're the star of the movie for me, if anything, because uh, there's a great kind of a uh, uh, hook, a uh, great kind of giant hook scene. Uh, for if you're, if you're a sword fisherman or a uh, a large uh, game fisherman, there's a gigantic hook. Yep. There's a great scene there. There's a great uh, kind of body separation moment. I won't get into when that is or who that is with. Uh, that's pretty good. There's, um, I mean, again, it, it, it's not high quality special effects but it it's certainly that kind of quaint um as much as you can talk about gory violence it's kind of that quaint uh kind of burning kind of fun uh well it's like you said crowd pleasing yeah yeah i mean this is what you want from these type of films yeah again you're kind of playing you're kind of with the big ed character more than you're with the i think you're supposed to feel for the ed jr character but i never really do i feel like ed jr as much as i feel bad for him for what happened to him as a youth and you know, he's an innocent kid who made a terrible mistake. Uh, he's such, he he's, he's kind of a he wet. Do, but I think, but I mean, like I said, you don't, you never really get the, the sense that that carried through to his adulthood. You yeah. never really get the sense that, you know, it was anything other than in his youth. And yeah. so as a consequence, you know, you never really, you don't have that through line going on with the, with the character. Yeah. He's not a douche like Ralphie, but he's well, certainly no. a wet noodle. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, Ra- God, yeah. Ra- Ralphie's the alpha male. Like you would think maybe that Mike. <laughs> You would think Mike would be because he's kind of the studly, kind of jock, yeah, uh, kind of the yeah. jock, kind of studly kind of guy. But really, Ralphie's kind of the more the Bill Hitchcock character. He's more the kind of aggressive. You know, he's aggressive sexually. He's aggressive with his practical jokes. He's aggressive with everything. So he's definitely the alpha male of the group. And then Ruth, I think, is the that that's the she's the alpha female because she's certainly you know she's not giving up the goods until she wants to. I think I think that's her. Yeah, she's she's not giving up the goods unless she has to. Uh, you know, she thinks you know she's definitely pro feminine, which is you know kind of an interesting angle in this in this film. I, I thought that was kind of an interesting angle. She kind of plays the you know the character that kind of like you know frowns at the boys' kind of silliness and immaturity, which is not something you always get in these movies. Uh, and she manages to keep that character kind of 
thorough. Like she's not, like I said, she's not giving up the good. She's not an easy. She's not an easy lay, so to speak. Mm-hmm. All those type of things. I kind of like. I liked her character. Actually, I think I liked her character the most in the film. Really, uh, she was a bit too stout. I think for somebody who was supposed to be going and having a good time. Not saying that she needed to take her pants off. I'm just saying that she, she kind of. She brings down the the room like one or two times too many. <laughs> yeah, like you know everybody's having a good time, and she's like, oh yeah, you know, hey, that wouldn't happen if you didn't have cancer. You know, it's like, oh come on, you know, that's not a joke. At this point, you're scaring me. You know, come on, settle down. She's the kind of person, you know, who you know brings out the cancer reference, you know, or something like that. You know, it's like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. She has a chilling effect. <clears throat> yeah, so she's interesting though. But yeah, the special effects are good. I mean, most of the kills are pretty they're pretty standard as far as slasher films go but they're kind of fun because they're using hunting implements and kind of a big game implements and things like that so big ed's having you know he's kind of carrying over his uh because they set up big ed right away as a hunter he comes home with a couple of looks like uh yeah a couple birds a couple ducks maybe a couple little waterfowl looks like he's into that uh before he sees his wife and starts drinking um what a bizarre opening man i gotta i gotta say i like the i like the special effects as as they are but that opening is so classic uh like almost badly done slasher stuff that it's it's like it's a great extending example of how not to do it i mean i like it but it's like uh i don't know it's 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 a bizarre feeling it's almost i don't know if it's because of the way gun violence has kind of permeated america but seeing that opening it's almost like overly sad for me Whereas in when you know in 1984, if me and you saw this in, and you did see it at a young age, a younger age, if 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 I see this in 84, I kind of laugh at it. It's so silly. But as an older man, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, unfortunately that shit happens. Yeah, it's very strange, yeah, yeah. you know. And like I saw the headline the other day that more more infants have killed Americans than terrorists this year, and uh, nobody really talks about that. <laughs> it's kind of sad and you know, kind of a. Again, another kind of uh, damnation on our gun culture. But again, not that I'm—I should say I'm not—I'm not politically involved either way. There, I have my opinion. I'll keep it to myself. But uh, needless to say, it's probably a surprise you what my opinion is if you knew me. Um, but yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. Uh, it does have a charm. I'll say that. Again, I don't think it's an outstanding film. I don't think it's an outstanding version of the genre. What I do think it is, I think it's an outstanding version, uh, example of the genre aped and exploited. Uh, similar to like what Blood Rage was. I think Blood Rage is a better film uh, than this because Blood Rage is, it kind of knows what it is. It also has very good kills. And I think what some of these slashers held, what, hold, what they hold up on as time goes on is the quality of the effects. Um, it's certainly not the, always the quality of the characters or the actors. And maybe sometimes like in the burning situation, it's like a Jason Alexander is in there and people like that. And you're like, Whoa, man, look at Jason Alexander. And it's kind of fun to go back and look at, you know, well, look at Holly Hunter. It's kind of fun to go back and look at that. But the one thing like the burning has over this is it has Tom Savini special effects too, which, you know, changes the game. Uh, this doesn't have Savini, but it has Savini-esque effects to say the least. And I think it's, uh, it's well done for what it is. It's not. Uh, it's not going to. Uh, kind of like a, similar to Sheba Baby in a way. It's not knocking down any doors, but you know, it's certainly, it's certainly in the house. It's certainly in the ballpark of what you expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the special features that Arrow has put on here and everything else. I haven't had a chance to watch the whole documentary. I watched about twenty minutes or fifteen minutes of it. It was very well done. I haven't listened to the commentary yet. 
I did listen to it. I should say I did listen to the commentary on the Girdler one. The uh, Debbie Breen, I think's her name, the the, the WilliamGirdler dot com uh, lady, and it's really well informed. Uh, this one I haven't listened to yet, but I'm I'm going to be curious to check it out because I got a feeling there's going to be a lot of fun behind the stories, behind the scenes stories on this one. Yeah, yeah, it, no, I would imagine. Looks like everybody had fun making it, but I'll kick over to you uh, for the MVTs maker breaks and the uh, and the maker fall break, we should say. And there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, the MVT for me is uh, yeah, it's the gore from uh, from Mark Showstrom and company. Yeah, um, it really is the the standout of the film. It's the um, showstopper. It is. It's the showmaker and the showstopper. Yep. Um, so yeah, got to give it up for that. And the uh, the maker break for me is the gaff scene. Uh, the giant hook scene. Um, it really, you know, I was, I got to admit, I was, uh, even though I'd seen this before, I didn't remember that, that moment. And, uh, for a second there, I thought it wasn't going to happen, but then it happened and, uh, it was, it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, it made me, it <clears throat> gave me, it, uh, made me give it my full attention at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. And it was very well done again. So, um, give it that. And the score, I mean, like you said, it, it's not really, it's not really. A st- I think it's it's more interesting to watch as a curio than as a slasher, um, in and of itself. So I mean, on that level, it's worth seeing. But other than that, it's just is such an oddball. Um, <laughs> it is. I mean, that's re- that's really kind of it's, that's its appeal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that how how oddball it is, both in tone and you know just in in general? Um, but uh, I'm gonna give it. Uh, just like with Shiva Baby, I'm giving it a six out of ten. Okay, but yeah, no, the Arrow. I was shocked as hell that they had a full length documentary uh, on the making of <laughs> yeah. this thing. Yeah, and it's, um, it's great. It's great when they do that. It's great when they do that because I think yeah. some of the best stories in film in the film world are from the uh, you know the the kind of uh, outliers, the kind of the films that are working outside the system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we should say, you said Mark Shostrom. We should say for those who don't know, Mark Shostrom is uh, one of the kind of preeminent, preeminent, the kind of one of the great special effects guys. Yeah, he worked on a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff that you've seen. Um, everything from uh, Warren Beatty's uh, Dick Tracy to... Uh, Videodrome. Uh, yeah, Videodrome, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep, yep. Uh, all kinds of stuff. Witchboard, From Beyond. I mean, you name it. He he worked on some uh, Evil Dead 2. So, I mean, he, he's he been around... Ooh, best of the best, too. I didn't know that. But he's been around uh, for quite some time. I know that... Uh, I think he's still around. Yeah, he's still alive and still working. Looks like he just did the Amityville The Awakening, which is 2017. So... Yeah, Amityville still coming strong. It's not going. They're not going to give up anytime soon. Nope. But uh, yeah, he's still working well into the two thousands on. Uh, oh, he did the Grinch Stole Christmas. How about that? So yeah, he uh, still working, and uh, he is. Uh, if you ever see him, you, you'll you'll know him almost immediately. He's a distinctive looking guy. Yeah, he's a distinctive looking guy. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, I've seen him in many interviews over the years, and uh, I always when I see him, I always know it's Mark Shostrom before they put his name on the screen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like oh, there's Showstrom, man. He's coming on again, but uh, so yeah, the quality of the effects is there because, like I said, you, this guy has uh, had quite a career, so you can tell that uh, Mutilator was early. Uh, it wasn't super early, but it was early in his career. Uh, he by that time he'd already done Slumber Party Massacre, Beastmaster, Forbidden World, Sword and Sorcerer. I mean, something yeah, he'd done about six or seven by yeah. that point. Yeah, and did Videodrome. So by that time he'd already done those films and and moved on to other well, stuff. Well, I think. I think that those were all weren't those all uh, weren't the earlier ones before this like uh, him just being on the the special effects team not necessarily headlining it. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff he and did. This was kind of one of his first uh, ones where he was actually running. The, yeah, he was the supervisor on this one. He uh, mostly was just an artist or uncredited on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I think the first. I'm looking to see. Yeah, this is his first supervisor role. So this is okay. him leading the, the thing, and a lot of the stuff he worked on, he still worked uncredited. A lot of people, if you don't know, the special effects world. A lot of times they – if you get the supervisor gig, that's great, but they don't give you a lot of time to do the special effects work. So a lot of times you end up coming in and helping friends. I know that Rob Bottin would bring people in all the time to help him, and uh, they would get uncredited. Uh, they wouldn't get any credit on the film, um, but they would come in and just – you know because it's, it's very much like the stuntman world. It's very much a club and uh, a working club, and they, they try to help each other out. So, yeah, I think that uh, – if you look through his filmography, actually a lot of that stuff from eighty one to eighty two, almost all of that stuff, he's uncredited on. Uh, an outpost of progress is the first thing, or Sword and Sorcerer is the first thing he's credited on as an artist, except for some shorts. And okay. uh, so that's the first thing, and that's pretty much that's a very special effects heavy fantasy film. So that's interesting. But he didn't get any credit on the Beastmaster, which is uh, again uh, f- effects heavy fantasy film. And he's even uncredited on Slumber Party Massacre, which is a very kill-heavy, and, and Videodrome, which is a very uh, rubbery, latex uh, film. So, A lot of body vaginas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alien Predator. Have I seen Alien Predator? 1985. Oh, Darren Uh Ooh, Dennis Christopher. I don't think I have seen this. Ooh, what a shame. I guess i got to get on that. Alien Predator. Uh, was that the one, uh, uh, what the hell did they call it? Um, the oh. Falling? Or not, not The Falling, the... Uh, Let's see, I'm trying to see if it's got an awful That's one where, where, where uh, Dennis Christopher and them and his buddies are down in like South America or whatever. Yes, and, you're right. It's also known yeah, as The Falling. Not, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's that was not very good. Yeah, probably not. I have never seen it, though, and I am a fan of Lynn Holly Johnson. i got to say, when I was growing up, I really liked Lynn Holly Johnson a lot. So, for those who don't know, she was uh, the female lead in Ice Castles. Yeah, and For the, Your Eyes Only, right? She was the one of the... Oh, yeah, the, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's one of my favorite Bond films. Good call, man. Good call. All right, uh, my MVT, also the, uh, I think you said the practical effects. My, my MVT is the effects. Mm-hmm. The practical effects, they're great. Um, they are the star of the show. Uh, Make or Break is the opening. I, I like the opening. It's so bizarre. Uh, it has a different effect on me as an older man and in, in the culture we live in now than it did. But it still has such a kind of uh, offbeat feel to it. And and like like we said, we were joking around, but Big Ed was, uh, <laughs> he was borderline going to lose it anyway. Uh, yeah. And this puts him right over the edge, and the way he reacts is... He was going on a psychotic <laughs> break. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, my score's just a little bit higher than yours, uh, 6.25. Uh, those effects really do it for me. Um, they're juicy, they're fun. Uh, I, I like my gore right about this level. Uh, yeah. Sometimes when it goes too far, it becomes comedy, and and that's fine. It has its place. Um but I like it when it's just rubbery and juicy enough and just hardcore enough like this stuff, the, the mid-80s slasher stuff. It's probably the stuff I have the most affection for. Uh, again, not explosive, but just bloody enough and just enough to make you very uncomfortable. The hook scene is is pretty brutal, uh, but not. I don't think that scene would be done like that nowadays. You see what I'm saying? I think... Yeah, it's not as brutal as like the hook scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which shows you nothing but is awful. Yeah, yeah, no. That scene is oh, to this day my back twitches up and I cringe when I think about 
Leatherface hanging that girl on that hook. Yeah, you can almost feel it. Yeah, ugh, it's just, and, and and that's with very little blood, very little anything. It's just so matter of fact and done the way he hangs her up there like a pig or like a like a an animal that's just going to be slaughtered, and the way her she sucks in her breath. It's just, oh, it's, it's giving me chills thinking about it because it's just so it's so it's so graphic yet not graphic. That that's really the genius of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This one, the hook scene is is pretty brutal, and it made me cringe. We'll say it made me, you know, I definitely was crossing the the legs there, bang. Oh, yeah. So, uh, pretty rough. Um, but yeah, nice and juicy. So that's the mutilator. Um, so definitely check those out. Again, we were brought to you by Arrow Video this week. We hope you guys are supporting those guys. They're putting out a lot of great stuff. They still got a lot of great stuff coming. Got some new stuff this week that we'll be covering in the future. I don't even know what we're doing next week. I guess we can do. Uh, uh, let's do. Uh, I don't know what came out in what order, so I'm just kind of going to go off the top of my head, and I know what you got. Let's do. Uh, let's do the stuff. Okay. We'll do the stuff, which is it'll be fun to talk about. And uh, shit. Now let's do something different. We haven't done. We've done a lot of horror films. So let's do. Uh, what do you want to do? You want to do Hired to Kill, or you want to do the Zero Boys? Which one do you want to do? Uh one's a uh, George Kennedy, Oliver Reed, Brian Thompson, and a French Kiss from Brian Thompson and uh, Oliver Reed, and then the other one is, uh, I think, post-apocalyptic uh, Nico Mastarakis. Okay. Um, yeah, what the hell? Let's do the Mastarakis. Okay, we'll do Zero Boys. Well, next week we'll do Zero Boys and the stuff. That'll be fun. That'll be a fun show. I know I've seen Zero Boys. Uh, I definitely have seen the stuff more than once <laughs> in my life, so it'll be fun to kind of talk about the stuff. And for some reason, my computer monitor just went out and won't come back on. <laughs> Not on the one I'm recording on, thank, uh, thank uh, the Lord, I guess. Oh, thank somebody. But, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm kind of bumping into the microphone here like a, like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, right. Better than dogs barking. Lost the monitor. That's not a good thing. Yeah. I'm going to cut that out. Anyway, all right, so, uh, yeah, there's nothing else to say. Again, I want to thank Todd for coming on, as always. Um, uh, Will's doing fine, like I said, guys. Uh, and if you could, throw a little coin our way. Uh, much appreciated. A dollar here, a dollar there. I don't care what amount it is. Some of you guys are very generous, and I appreciate that, and I know Will does as well. And uh, we appreciate you guys. That are, you know, uh, We should say, with Todd on the show, we appreciate you guys that are, you know, read the blog. I read Todd's reviews every time you post one. Uh, he's kept it alive for us. We had a you know a nice cadre, a nice kind of group or stable of writers for a while there. But uh, you know, again, that kind of comes and goes. And so, if anybody has any interest, well, though, actually, you know, there, uh, I should make mention that, um, and I know you guys give me all the credit for uh, for keeping that thing alive. But there's also uh, another person who's been posting on a semi regular basis, and they've been doing it you know for a, while, a long time now, uh, without making any sort of fanfare about it. And that's uh, Brett. Uh, over on the the blog, I won't say his last name, but uh, you can see it if you ever go to the the list of uh, reviews A to Z. You can nice, see his last nice, yeah, that's right. But yeah, no, he's he's been pumping them out you know, on a semi regular basis, so he's been helping out with that. Well, thanks and, very you know, much. Props where credit where it's due. Uh, if anybody uh, else wants to write for the blog, we're more than uh, willing to to offer you an opportunity. Uh, if you want to kind of, you know, if you're not podcasting or if you just want to throw some of your writing up and stuff, just hit us up or hit Todd up. And uh, for those of you who don't know Todd's full name. I mean, you'll you'll notice if you're in the group or if you're around abouts, you'll figure out who Todd is. 
Yeah, pretty quick. <laughs> Always look for the Frank Black. Uh, not Frank, is, it Frank, <laughs> is it Frank Black? Is that his name, character name? Uh, it's Frank. Yeah. It's just Frank. Yeah. Well, I thought the last name was Black. Or am I just thinking, am I just in a Pixies type thinking of, uh, well, he might be thinking of uh, Millennium, too. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, good call, yeah. What the hell's wrong with my computer monitor? What happened? Uh, <laughs> it's disturbing. It's bothering me. <laughs> it's going to be a problem. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, again, if you want to write, uh, just, just let us know. I mean, we're always willing to have you on there. The blog does get pretty good traffic, I think. I don't think it gets uh, the greatest traffic, but it does uh, get a little oh. bit of traffic. So it is... Uh, is nice. Of course, the more writing we get, the more people we get to write for it and stuff. The maybe the more it gets. Uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, I think that's everything, man. Uh, I'm gonna hop off here before my daughter wakes up and, and brings the thunder. She'll bring those tornadoes like 1973. Let me tell you. Uh, so the only other thing I say is, uh, and that was a that was a miss. That was my Alan Moore from America right there because I was like, what was it say? Uh, <laughs> is adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.